from the high desert and the great American Southwest, where the storms are raging. I'll tell you all about it. This is Coast to Coast AM, that show heard from in the west, the Hawaiian and Tahitian island chains, eastward all the way to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands, soon Puerto Rico, south into South America, north all the way to the pole and worldwide on the internet. This, once again, is Coast to Coast AM, and I'm Art Bell. Good morning. Well, I don't know whether El Nino has begun or not, but if this is what it's going to be like, we're headed for trouble. Here in the desert southwest, as well as in California, we are experiencing violent thunderstorms. And I mean violent, with torrential rains and hail. We've had hail uh, pelting us for the last, oh, I don't know, four or five hours. It is remarkable out there. And my understanding is that it also is occurring in Southern California. Hail, lightning, it's all around us. So... We're getting exactly, I guess, what Southern California is getting. And to add to the mystery, my network in Medford, Oregon, is getting clobbered tonight as well. They've been uh, having all kinds of technical weather-generated difficulties, so it's going to be a dicey situation tonight in more ways than one. And whether we remain on the air and they remain on the air, (laughs) it's going to be an adventure And if you hear a few lightning crashes uh, in the background, uh, thunder, that is, as a result of the lightning, uh, you'll know why. So that's what's going on, and I I think that the the express may be generating itself, or maybe this is just uh, some sort of freak weather. But let me tell you, friends, freaky it is. All right, I've got some stations to welcome. Uh, For example, KFMJ. In Ketchikan, Alaska. Pretty well rounding out Alaska, as far as I know. Great to be on in Ketchikan. Do you know I was in Alaska last week? As a matter of fact, the um, the pictures, photographs of the uh, visit to Alaska, along with being able to cozy up to a Black Hawk helicopter and all that kind of cool stuff, are up on the website at www.artbell.com. So anyway, welcome, Ketchikan, Alaska. Also, WWRC. Anybody have any idea where they are? In the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., they're a monster, WWRC, uh, 980 on the dial, in Washington, D.C., nation's capital. So we have switched affiliates there to a real monster, and good morning, everybody, in Washington, D.C. This is a program that defies... Conventional explanation. (laughs) We do something different just about every night. And tonight is going to be no different in that respect. My guest coming up in a moment is Merle Haggard. Country star Merle Haggard. If the question were asked, who forged the genre that is known today as uh, modern country music, only a very tiny group of country immortals could step forward to share the spotlight. One out of that handful would be Merle Haggard. No, it was not the delivery room on the morning country music was born. It just seems like he was. Merle Haggard's not just a legend with a P.O. box in a -a once-in-a-lifetime 
deal. He's a permanent condition of country music's soul, and that makes him a very interesting individual. I understand he does not do a lot of interviews, so I'm honored in that regard. Coming up in a moment, from Nashville, Tennessee, appropriately, Merle Haggard. All right, here he is, Merle Haggard. Merle. Good morning, Art. <laughs> Good morning to you. I'm told you don't give a whole bunch of interviews, huh? Well, I, that's really not true. I, I, I've heard that rumor. Uh, I enjoy giving interviews. <laughs> uh, so, Merle, who do you think killed Princess Di? Well, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a combination, I guess, of bad uh, ingredients. Uh, sounds like uh, some of the old uh, enemies speed and alcohol. Yeah, that's exactly what I can think of, too. You uh, drive 121 miles an hour and have a drunk driver three times legal there, and something's bad happen, uh, bound to, to happen uh, that's uh, not good. I've been in situations similar to that where be with people that were bigger stars than I was trying to get away from someplace, and, and it can some, uh, sometimes be really dangerous, and, and, and I'm... I'm uh, in question as to why they didn't ask him to slow down. Yeah. Uh, actually, you're a big enough star as it is. Uh, what do you do about that when you have uh, people chasing you? It well, happens. It, it happens, and uh, it's a, it's an individual, a brand-new deal every time. I just got back from shooting a game of pool here in the hotel, and the guy grabbed my hand and, like, broke my hand. Really? Uh, some Some drunk. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you really take your, your life in your own hands if you go out and into, into the public and, and uh, someone recognizes you and, and, and uh, snowballs. And people don't understand that unless they've, they've had to live sort of that way. And, and, uh, I, I really was moved by her, by her having this, this accident. I'm, as everybody in, in the, the whole world seems to be. Actually, that's a really interesting question. Princess Di, of course, was a you know very gracious, uh, apparently very much loved person. But the reaction to her death almost seems disproportionate to the amount of knowledge we had of her here. Uh, it's it's almost all consuming. And she I'm, was almost like family. There's something about her that was uh, that gave her that special uh, closeness. To, um, to the whole to the whole world, she was doing some things that no one, her stature, I think, had ever even thought of doing. It was visiting people with leprosy and things of that nature. So it was the common side of royalty that that kind of endeared her to Americans who probably are not much in love with royalty anyway. Well, we we don't have that, and she was sort of our our princess as well, I guess, and. Uh, she favored, favors my wife. Uh, she's just uh, just one of my favorite ladies. Uh, is, is speaking from the gender, uh, male gender, <clears throat> she was a beautiful lady, and uh, I compared her to my wife. I have a tall, blonde, and uh, it's, uh, about half my age, I'm fortunate to say. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and she just kind of reminded me of, of someone in my family felt close to her and didn't know her. And I think a lot of people are expressing that. It just it hit 
really, really hard, and I've, I've yet to fully figure it out myself, but I'm, I'm actually working on that angle, why it's so all-consuming over here. I, I just, so there's something we all identify with that I haven't quite put my finger on yet. It's interesting. Uh, you, what about you, Merle? Tell us about Merle Haggard. How did you get to be such a big country music star? Well, I went around about uh, things, I guess you would say, happened right for me there. There's going to be a, a film produced. A uh, uh, United Artists brought my life story. And really? Robert Duvall is uh, producing, and uh, really Bob Thornton and uh, Everson are doing the script writing. And it's going to be a, uh, you know, a full, full-blown major motion picture of my life or a period of my life. And uh, I, I guess uh, if. Uh, you could paint a picture of a guy that was supposed to be a country artist. It, it would, uh, it, things happened to me that uh, didn't happen to President Lincoln. You know, uh, it was uh, it was like it was all thought out. And if you believe in predestination, it's uh, it proves it's, itself almost every day to me. I, my father passed away when I was nine, and. I had an older brother and sister, but they were already busy with their lives. And so it left me with a, an older mother. And uh, I was, uh, it wasn't long from nine until about eleven, and I felt out of place. And I started leaving home when I was that young. I started riding freight trains, and I eventually got into trouble and wound up uh, in San Quentin when I was nineteen years old. Nineteen? And um, all of a sudden, I'm there in a cell next to a guy named Carol Chessman, you may remember, who was 12 years in being put to death in, in the state of California. I remember. Well, I, I, I'd been uh, making some beer, and we got caught making beer in the yard at San Quentin, and I was in the, what's it called, the, the shelf. I was not yet 21 years old, and I was talking through the vent to a man who was going to death and, and sleeping on a Bible uh, for a pillow and uh, no no clothes. And, uh, and it just kind of hit me. I said, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe this is not what you had in mind. Let me back up a little bit. This You, you roll through an awful lot of stuff awful quickly there. What what did you do again to get thrown in San Quentin? Well, it took seven years. It wasn't, it wasn't something, it wasn't really anything... Uh, that I'm ashamed to talk about. I was, I grew up a, a poor boy, and uh, I uh, learned how to work early on in life. I started working in, in the potato sheds in California. I'm from California, and just happened to be in Tennessee tonight. But uh, I, I, they had a real strict truancy law in California, and, and I wanted to work, and they and they didn't want me to work under under 16. Right. So uh, they would uh, take me to juvenile hall and, and uh, give me so many days in some juvenile road camp for not going to school. And I broke out of there and stole a car and got caught stealing the car and wound up uh, going to a bigger place and doing the same thing again. And uh, running from the law, trying to be let, uh, just just trying to be a man. I was too young to be a man. They wouldn't accept me that way. 
story, and I didn't understand it at the time. And I, I never hurt anybody. I never. I just kind of hurt myself. Stole cars and wound up in in the in the big house when I was 19 years old. And they called me an incorrigible prisoner. You know, someone that that uh, would always be in jail. Well, I did two two years, nine months there. That's a long time for a nineteen-year-old in San Quentin. That's that's yeah. that's a bad place. I mean, you've got to be you, you've got to be one of the worst, don't you, to be going to San Quentin? Well, that, that's what I thought, and the reason they sent me there was because I'd ran away so many times from the other places, and they didn't feel like they could hold me. I guess because it wasn't that my type of crime was my worst crime was a burglary. I tried. I I went to jail for seven years to learn how to be a good criminal. And, uh, you know, I've rubbed elbows. They put me in jail for truancy, and I rubbed, el rubbed elbows with people who were going to rob people. And I learned things, bad things from them. And they then, taught you how to do... Of course, then you're learning, of course, from somebody who obviously didn't succeed. That's right. I, I was in there beside, beside people who were uh, actual real criminals. And here was this young boy, uh, under 16 years old, in Los Angeles County Jail. Uh, listen to these guys talk about how to how to, how to pass bad checks, how to how to wire hot wire cars, and how to break into safes and things of that nature. And, and uh, I've always been a kind of a guy that I I needed a lot of money. I have I've never been able to hold on to money. <laughs> and uh, I was fortunate that when I came out of prison, uh, you know, jumping ahead with the story, I. I had a lot of God-given talent with with the music, and uh, and it came out. And uh, where did that come from? I'm, I mean, you say it came from God, but well, it's from my father. My father was a very talented musically, and my mother was a writer. She uh, she was the penmanship champion of the state of Oklahoma when she was 16 years old. Wow! So I I, I got some writing from her, and I got some music from my dad. And then all these things happened to me when I was very young, which uh, allowed me to experience maybe some things that I would never have known about otherwise. Uh, my sister compares me to to uh, Paul in the Bible. You know, I mean, it's like I had to go to jail, or David. You know, I had to go. Uh, I had to be king, and then I had to go to jail, or I had to go to jail and then be king, or something, in order to see both sides of the coin. Do you remember making any conscious decision, you know, sitting in jail, saying, not again? Or did did did, did it happen a different way? I mean, did you just sort of get lucky and... Well, uh, when I... Uh, yeah, I kind of jumped ahead on you there. I went to, went to San Quentin, and I, I thought it was a joke. I thought, here I am, 19 years old, and I got in there. I knew two, three guys. We played guitars. And I didn't worry about getting out. And back in those days, they didn't have a definite sentence. They would give you like six months to 15 years. That was my sense. Well, that, that meant that you could get out in maybe 18 months or a year or two years, or you could be there the full time. And, and uh, depending on how you behaved, I guess, huh? Yeah. Well, it was kind of. It's kind of an un. Uh, uh, you can't really plan anything when you don't know where you're going to be. That's for sure. <laughs> and uh, but when I when I woke up in the in the uh, the hole and uh, realized where it was at. I made a I made a turnaround in my life.
fried barrel. And uh, <clears throat> you could have been. You probably could have been in another timeline. You could have been. You know, some other. I, I believe there may be different timelines, and if there are, you could have made a different decision, gone I, a whole different way. That's right. And it, but I, I did make a decision to come out and, 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 and do everything I could. To, I never was afraid of work. I, I came out and went to work as an electrician for my brother. I was 22 years old. And I started playing four nights a week in a little bar in Bakersfield. Hmm. And for $10 a night. And that was 1960. And then uh, one thing led to another. By 1962, I was in Las Vegas working the best country band on the West Coast, Wins Tour. I worked there on... Yeah, that's when I lived there. It was about 150,000. It's a million people. Benny Binion's one of my was one of my closest friends. I was I was very close to Benny. Those are the old days of Vegas. Yeah, they were great. They were really great. You remember those days? Uh, well, yes. That was, that was one wild town. It was uh, very different than the way it is now. People wouldn't understand, would they? No, it's turning into Disneyland now. Yeah, it's uh, it's family oriented. They're trying to. Uh, trying to do everything. I, I, I'm afraid they're going to lose the uh, the, uh, the uniqueness of it all. That's uh, I I have the pleasure of being well acquainted with Steve Wynn, and yes, and I disagree with a lot of things that he's done over the years. I I think he could have preserved some of the old Las Vegas as well as developed some new, but. Uh, yeah, I was sitting at a table with he and Benny Binion and listened to him discuss what he was going to do with, with the old golden nugget. And uh, to me, it was it was a piece of, uh, of history that was going to be torn down. And, and uh, <laughs> I couldn't believe. I said, you, you know, you're going to put in another titty bar here and tear out this, this lounge where Bob Wills and all these people played. Chet Atkins, Earl Travis, all the great names in country and western music has been here over the years, and you're going to tear it out and make another mm -hmm. kitty bar. Yeah, well, every time a, a, a building gets to be about two years old now in Las Vegas, and they implode it, and they build a new one. That's how it works now. I don't have anything against titties, but, but you know, I thought, why don't you do that, too, and leave that like it is? But, uh, you know, it was, it was something else back when they... Actually, I, we're at the bottom of the hour here, so I'm going to take a break. But I want to talk to you about Las Vegas more more than we have uh, done to this point, because I remember the way it used to be run. And this was one strange town. But I'll tell you, it was run very efficiently by some very interesting people. This is Coast to Coast AM. Haggard. Merle, there was a day uh, when Las Vegas was run by the mob. That's right. And uh, the sheriff uh, here was a rough son of a gun. And we didn't have gangs. We didn't have taggers. We didn't have problems. And when we did, they usually ended up out in the desert somewhere. That's how things were handled in Vegas. And I'm, I'm sure if you know the old Vegas, you remember that real well. Well, I tell you, I used to play 21 at the... Uh, 
Benny's place down there, and I and I'd win some money, and uh, maybe be up a couple of days, you know, sitting there playing twenty one. Oh yeah. And uh, I remember one incident where Elvis was in town, and so he'd invited me and my band to come out, and and I'd uh, had won twenty five thousand dollars at, at Benny's place. Twenty five k. And uh, and Manoj, to me, uh, Benny had two guys following me all the time, making okay. sure nobody robbed me, because he knew I'd been up a long time, and. and uh, I went out to the international and wound up getting robbed anyway. But it was, uh, it was uh, one of the strangest things you ever heard of. I had the money sitting in front of me on a table. I was eating a steak and I had it in an envelope. I was going to put it in, a, in the cage before we went to the show. And this money was laying on this table and I went in to, to shave and I turned my face to do the right side of my face. And in that period of time, the butler or the waiter came in and wheeled that table out, don't you see? Wow. And when I turned back around and the table was gone, I hollered at the other people in the room. There was a couple of girls and guitar players and things. They said, no, we didn't, we didn't take it. I ran out there and I opened the door. And by the time I got to the door and looked at the table, I could see this guy running at the end of the hall. And he had the 25, I think it was 23.5 to be exact is what it was. So he'd been following you all along just waiting? Huh? He'd been following you all along just waiting? Yeah. Uh, and and uh, he finally got a chance and he's gone and he probably built himself a new life and I hope he did. But uh, other than that... I doubt you looked at it that way at that moment. No, uh, me and some security guards tore that room up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And we had everybody that knew Benny. Uh, uh, and there, at that time, you know, Mr. Benyon could make a phone call, and, and, and every cabbie and every limousine driver in town it was like a, like an arm, like a force for him. They would call, let him know, like someone said there was someone talking about stealing his dog or something out the edge of town one, one night. And so there was two guys walked in with less than 20 minutes of the beginning of the subject and said, uh, you guys should change your subject, you know. Huh. You'll wind up in the desert. Uh, a lot of people wound up in the desert out here. <laughs> and then, you know, but uh, I, don't, I don't know how to make sense out of that. I mean, real law and order came, real rules. We started to get Disneyland over here. And now we've got gangs, we've got had race riots, we've had all the problems all the other big cities uh, have, and the old good old days, the good old days of the bad old guys are gone. The strangest thing you got right now is rain. Uh, we don't have just rain. We have flash flooding now, uh, Merle. It's really serious. We have some very serious storms coming over. It's, uh, I just, I'm watching the... the uh... Weather Channel here on the satellite, and it's showing it's raining. It's raining in Barstow. Yeah, yeah. I'm in a little place called Pahrump, Nevada, about 65 miles west of Las Vegas. I'm near Death Valley. Yeah, I know right where you're at. It doesn't rain a lot out here. I live. I live in Palisadre, just like due west, right straight over the mountain, over Area 51, and come right uh, well, uh, at 270, 270 degrees from where you're at. You'll, you'll land on top of a house, and you get over the mountains, going west towards the, the ocean. You're not.
enough, are there? Well, there's something going on with our uh, weather, Merle. Well, I know. It, it's it's, it's un unbelievable. You, it, 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 to see it cool off, this is the coolest, uh, I think the coolest August uh, they've ever had in history in Florida. It's 58 degrees down there the other day. And, uh, and now we're having the same sort of thing on, on the West Coast. Usually we're burning up. Yep. You know, well, we're really burning up at this time of year out here, and uh, as summer began very late, and it's ending very early. It's like the like we've uh, what, like we've uh, vibrated out of our uh, correct orbit. You know, they say the atomic clock is off something like eleven hours in the last ten years uh, due to that vibration that we we got going here. Well, there's something happening. There's no question about it. I'm just a talk show host. You know, I wrote a book about it called The Quickening. and uh, I haven't read it yet. I'm hoping that maybe I can get a free copy. Yeah, I'm sure you can get a free copy. We can arrange something. <laughs> um, but basically, it suggests that something's going on in just about every area of human endeavor, you know, socially, economically, politically, environmentally. All these areas are speeding up, and we're, it's like we're headed towards something. I thoroughly agree. It's it's a, it's a feeling that's shared all over the world. Uh, they're talking about it in, in classrooms, and uh, uh, it's it's some, there's something going on where we're uh, we can't all be we're, we're creatures we're creatures that sense things yes. before they happen. Yes, yes. A lot of us have kind of lost that, you know, through the modern buzz that's going on everyday working, all the rest of it, but. A lot of people have a deep sense that something is really profoundly wrong. There's a there's a theory that they're they're calling the, the zero point that we've sometime over the last 250 million years, some 40 times we've wound to a complete stop and had the poles reverse polarity and and stand still as it spoke of in in, in the Bible as sun stood still, and, and some people believe that actually occurred about 11,000-something years ago, and then we started in the other direction. That's right. Um, like a reset button gets pushed. Right. I'm a believer in that. I think that happened. I really believe it happened. And I think it's foolish to imagine that we've uh, just been around once. I think that civilizations probably have come and gone, and that the Earth has been here a long time, but... You know, uh, somehow, and I'm, you know, I'm really not a, uh, an all-fired environmentalist, but I'm also not blind to what's going on. And it's easy to see that we're undergoing, I mean, fish are dying by the millions off the coast with this new hard, they're closing waters in Maryland. Uh, well, you can't go swimming because of this new hysteria um, thing. And uh, the Antarctic has cellular changes of, uh, not just cellular, but uh, DNA changes in small animals, and our weather is changing. It's all headed toward an event, and I'm really curious. I wonder what it's going to be. You know, I think the most valuable thing on Earth uh, very soon is going to be water. I mean, uh, something, uh, something, you know, like you're talking about that, that deal you sell there, the storage, uh, the, the, the uh, put away for the yep. rainy day thing. That's right. I agree with you. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing what 
in several different ways. Uh, it's, it's possible for me. I have creek frontage up there in California, Northern California to actually sell my my water rights to somebody in Los Angeles. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's becoming very, very valuable. Yes. Uh, we we have, even though we're in the desert, we have one of the largest underground aquifers in the in the country. It's good water below the desert here. Not people, don't, people don't realize that. In, well, yes, they do. Las Vegas realizes it, yeah. and they're trying to get our water. Yeah. Uh, so you're isn't, right. Isn't there, isn't, is it rumored that there's a, uh, a river the size of the Colorado River that runs like seven miles below the surface of the city of Las Vegas? Have you heard about that? I've heard that rumor. I, that's that's but that'd be a, that'd be a big well, though. That'd be great to tap into that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a big well. Uh, right now, the water they get when they drill down in Las Vegas is not good. Uh, well, so, I, I, you know, it's uh, um, what we've uh, you know we dug down 200 feet in Redding, California, and we have a have a well there, and we we come up with cow urine in the in cow, the water. Cow, cow urine. Yeah, because uh, for 200 years, there's been cows running around up there. And, uh, you know, if you have a, a small drought and uh, and the water doesn't come to, to clean it out, then you wind up with the possibility of E. coli and all that, you know. So you don't, you're not going to sell that water? No, and, and, and uh, <laughs> that's the condition of, of, of a lot of the, the area in the northern part of California where people think it's great water. Yeah, I know. It's not great water. Well, even, even, uh, you take the case of North Carolina, the estuaries in North Carolina. That's where this Fisteria thing began. It's called the cell from hell. This is this dumb little cell that lays at the bottom of water, even salt water, uh, Merle, and when enough pesticide pollutants and, uh, runoff from pig farming and that kind of thing reach this cell, it activates, and it starts killing fish, which it is readily doing now by the millions. They get open bleeding sores on them, and now uh, they're learning that this is affecting human beings. It's almost an AIDS-like thing. As a matter of fact, some call it fish AIDS. And I am worried for us, but maybe it's like you said earlier, you know, things are sort of predestined. It seems to be. Uh, it's it's certainly a a good format for a subject to talk about this evening. Uh, not yeah, not bad. Um, you when you were I'm taking you back for a second. When you were in San Quentin, you talked to Carol Chessman. He's been a pretty mysterious character. Uh, what kind of things did Chessman have to say to you? Well, I learned more about him actually through uh, being there while he was there than I did actually talking to him. He, his case was an interesting case because of the fact that he was never really positively identified in, in the uh, for the crime that he was going to be put to death for. Uh, he was he was a, he was an armed robber, armed robber who had like twenty nine counts of armed robbery on him, mm -hmm. and he was a guy that, that should be, should have been locked away forever and all that, but they never did. He was supposedly the red light, the red light bandit, the guy that came out and uh, and uh, found the lovers lane and, and raped the girl.
Mike, he was politically uh, put away, and they hung this crime on him because they wanted to get it off the books. So uh, he, he never he never talked to you about it. He never admitted the crime. Oh, he he never admitted the crime to anybody. He wrote two books while he was there. One of them on carbon paper, and and uh, they, he wrote one book and got it out, and he stirred up so much problems for him that they didn't want him to write another one. So he wrote another one on carbon paper. <laughs> so he was a, he was a very bright man and and uh, and just uh, you know he all he 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 became an, an attorney while he was there he was on death row I think for twelve years and he educated himself self educated himself and defended himself and then he, he hired attorneys to represent him outside he wrote two books while he was there and and uh, when I got to talk to him you know my my questions were simple to him. You know, he was—he had like uh, three or four weeks before he was to be uh, executed, and uh, of course, uh, I heard him talking over there. I, I hollered over through the vent. I said, I'm, "My name's Haggard." I said, "I'm up from the yard doing seven days for drunk." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "What do you, you know? What's your chances?" And he said, "Oh, no problem." He said, "I'm." He said, "I'm going to make the." Uh, about the death penalty? It's a double-edged sword. It, 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 uh, they have no control over prisoners without it. And I don't believe it's, it, it, uh, it's anything short of barbaric. I, I think it's terrible. But to, uh, as to what... Uh, whether I'm for or against it, I, I, I'm kind of like you are about some people in the Bible. You know, it's just... Uh, hard to say. Yeah, it is hard to say. I, I I think I sort of generally support it in the very worst cases, you know, but... There has to be some sort of... There has to be some something that holds uh, certain people in line. Certain people will not stay in line without the threat of their own life being taken away. You think uh, the death penalty will, would stop somebody in prison from uh, knifing another prisoner or knifing a guard trying to get away if they could? In other words, does it? The question is deterrence. You know whether it really I, I believe it's more for, for the protection of, of, the, of the help of the guards than it is anything else. I mean, they used to. It used to be when I was there that, that if you had say if you had one year to life with your sentence. If you were to draw blood on another convict or, or, or a guard, anybody, that life tale would would uh, would get you on death row, and they would sentence you to death. And uh, so you, you couldn't walk around. Uh, you know, you, there were very few fights in prison. Really, when I was there. Really, 
right. You always sort of hear the opposite. And every... It is now. It's, it, there's a lot of racial things, I understand, that are, that are in high-spirited fashion going on there, like, uh, you know, between the blacks and the Mexicans and the whites. And it's really bad now. You can't even speak to someone outside the, of your own race. It wasn't that way when I was there. I wonder, you know, prison is like just a microcosm of society, and we're a little bit more polite about our racism out here, but it's still everywhere, and it's probably worse, not better. People, What is it with people, anyway? I don't know. I hate it. I, 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 I'm not a racist. I believe everyone is, is created, you know, with the same... Everybody's got two legs and, and a brain, and, you know, and the color of their skin is immaterial. It's, uh, we're all individuals. You know, I, I raise fox terriers. I can't even get a dog that resembles the other dog. All dogs are different. Yeah. And people are all different. Yeah. But uh, we could take a lesson from the animals, you know, like the, the all birds of a feather flock together, but when they go to the water hole, they all get along. <laughs> it's true, but what I can't figure out is why it's getting worse. I mean, we've got laws. The laws are all there. They say everybody's equal. Hiring practices, all that kind of stuff. But... Uh, I believe the heart. You know, the hearts are getting worse. I really believe, Art, there is an increased endeavor from the dark side to make it to intensify uh, satanic uh, uh, or the whatever whatever represents the bad side. There's, an, there's been some intensification of that here lately. Lately. Yeah, I. I would, I would have to agree. You know, if there's really evil, and I think there is, if there's really God, then there's probably the opposite. There's opposites for everything else. So. Well, that's 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 the way I look at the. the how could there be the the evil on this earth without there being the opposite somewhere else? That's right. That's right. And I and I wonder if the uh, evil side is going through some sort of um, stronger time or. Working I, on being victorious or something—I don't know. I hope that uh, that some of the some of the great parts in the Bible and, and revelations are true. I hope we're about to, to enter that thousand-year period they talk about, where where uh, there's where there is no uh, satanic interference, and uh, uh, that period where I think the meek inherits the earth. I hope I'm one of the meek, and I'd like to. That would be something. Uh, but I have this terrible feeling that before it gets better... It's going worse. Yeah, it's going to probably get worse. <laughs> All right, Merle, hang tight. Uh, we're at the top of the hour, and we'll be right back. My guest is Merle Haggard. He's in Nashville right now. And, uh, yes, we will get to uh, telephones. But right now, we're just sort of chatting. The lightning strikes are all around. The hail is falling. The winds are blowing. I wonder if this is the beginning. Anyway, that's what's happening here. We'll be back. This is Coast to Coast.
on the wild card line. Now, here again, Art Bell. Okay, once again, here I am. I just watched the news, uh, the local Las Vegas news. Interesting, interesting developments. They, uh, as their lead item, had the storms that were going through here in Pahrump. And I told you, we were having violent windstorms, hail and rain, and there's more of it apparently on the way. But guess what? Here in the desert, in the last several hours, we have had almost two inches of rain. And people, I suppose, in California in areas where there's rain chuckle at that, says two inches. Ha, it's not much. Oh, yes, it is. Believe me. Dumped on a desert floor that's not used to getting rain, we have flash flooding. We have the highway between uh, my little town of Pahrump and Las Vegas probably on the verge of being closed they reported. And uh, looking to the west, there are more storms, they say, may be headed for this direction. So Las Vegas escaped, and we got clobbered. And when I say we got clobbered, I mean we really got clobbered. And uh, the, the rain is just uh, in gigantic pools, and it's very dangerous. So if you're in my area of the desert right now, my advice to you is to watch very carefully where you go. Flash floods occur uh, with just about no notice at all and kill quickly. So watch your step out there, and if you uh, don't need to drive, don't do it. All right, I have got something here I've got to read from Standale that just arrived, and it kind of punctuates what we're talking about and, in fact, what's going on right now. And I'll just read it. Art, as you know and have known for some time now, the El Nino effect is evolving into something new and devastating, especially in the North Pacific off the U.S. coastlines, Alaskan and Hawaiian coasts as well. The increased temperature average for this time of year, thermal anomalies for the western and northern sectors of the Pacific Ocean, are enormous. On my homepage, Stan's homepage, which folks can access from your website, under news bulletins on the home page and under thermoelectric maps for 3 September 97, on the page that comes up, you will see the current Otis thermal anomaly image is from the U.S. Naval FNMOC at Monterey as of today. It is the worst we have ever recorded already. A large circular heat pattern is forming off the west coast of America. It is about two-thirds the size of America. It has a cold spot in the core and a heat ring around the outside. It is producing unusual vortex uh, thermals up into the jet stream. The results are already beginning to flow into the newsrooms. Over the next 18 months, the grain crops in America are going to be heavily damaged in some places from flood, from drought, from hail, and snows 
at the wrong time, in the wrong place. And that's from Stan Dale in Perth, Australia. Um, so, uh, uh, Merle, there you go. Uh, this is um, this beginning to get to, to be um, very serious. And um, if what we were talking about is early, earlier is correct, I think that whoever it is has got their finger on the reset button. Yeah, the weather controllers have, uh, have decided to intensify the condition. They're going to bear down on us a little bit, I think. Um, that's uh, that's uh, really, really interesting about that thing. You know, that's been in- increasing for the last uh, for the last 20 years. I've been noticing, you know, the uh, the only thing you can tell about the weather over the last 20 years is that there's no one year uh, similar to the other. Profit, uh, and uh, I suppose you're not either. But I, I, I don't have to be a prophet to know that something's going on. Something big is about to happen. Something's happening. Yeah. Uh, listen, back just for a second, all the way to San Quentin. You, you said you got caught making beer in jail. How do you do that? Well, it, it's very simple. All the components are there. We, we had, to, we had to, some oranges and we had some sugar and. And uh, and we had uh, the biggest thing we had was time. Yeah, lots of that. Yeah, so we just let it kind of. It's a uh, you know a cheap way of making eight day what we called eight day beer, and it really wasn't all that you know big a sin. I don't think we were we were uh, playing guitars down the yard drinking this uh, homemade beer, and we just got got a little too much of it and uh, wound up on the uh, on the shelf up there. But it was. It, thing that, that scared the hell out of me when I looked around and really seen who I was sitting among and where I was at and how old I was. And, and, uh, that was some kind of, uh, what was that officially? Isolation? The, uh... It was a turning point for me. It was, that, that, it was isolation. It was, it was actually where my life turned around. I, I never went back. I never had any more problems. I came out and I was one of the, the 2% that, that go to jail come out and, and uh, was fortunate in the fact that I uh, was able to prove my worth out here with my talent and had it catch hold uh, early on in my parole and was able to get off parole. And, and then later on, uh, President Reagan uh, gave me a full and unconditional pardon. What, what do you think of jails? I mean, you, you said you're among the 2%, but you also said that you know, you learned a lot about how to commit crimes in jail, so you must have some views on jail in general. Uh, are these just training places for, in other words, should the young be separated from the hard criminals? Uh, should there not be jail the way we know it? How would you change it? 
it's uh, it's it's become a business now, and uh, we're we're uh, we're putting each other in jail for, uh, for things that uh, that we wouldn't have gone to jail for a few years ago. Uh, this uh, it's not a dope war that we got going on. We're a drug war. It's a war against the people uh, and the people's privacy. The security at the airports. Think the uh, the the drug war ought to be ended? Just ended. The jails, the jails are are the, are the product of, of a business that's happening, and uh, there's there's more jails built, being built in America right now than ever has been. They're, they're going to have a million five hundred thousand people in jail. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Legalize pot, or at least decriminalize it. Uh, but 
here came this President Clinton who thought himself in a political jam over, you know, well, I, I took a mouthful or a pot or something and never inhaled. Somehow got himself in trouble over that to the point where he couldn't do anything. You know, sometimes I wonder, in reality, just just how how much authority a president has now, <laughs> and and does he the first day in office do they take him in a little room and set him down <laughs> and say, "Now look, <laughs> this is what's going to happen." <laughs> Here, here's the real rules of the road. Here's the real world. Here's how nature actually works. Yeah, and I, I've wondered about the same thing myself because they, they promise one thing, of course, and they always do another. And they said, you know, like uh, President Carter, I, I think I heard this on your show, said that, that if he was elected president, that one of the things he would, he would uh, level with the public about would be... Uh, UFOs. The UFOs. And, they, and then when he was asked about that after he was in office, Yeah, that was somebody who went to one of his book signings, and tear, that's right. The guy made contact with uh, the president and asked him why he never followed through. And uh, he just stopped dead, and uh, tears came to his eyes. He's that kind of guy. So, you know, that <laughs> you might be right. They might sort of lay down the rules of the road for a president once he gets into office. I, I don't know, but I do know this. What's going on back in Washington right now? I used to talk a lot about politics years and years and years ago. But what they're doing back there right now is not particularly relevant to our lives. I mean, I, the arguments they're having aren't real arguments. The games it's are... Almost, it's almost like it's for the ears of the public. Yeah. It's, all, it's, it's, it's the same thing as the theory of the... Uh, very 50, 51 being the real deal and, and uh, NASA being for the public. <laughs> so. I've got a picture of Area 51 up on my website, the non-existent Area 51. I wonder how long it's going to be able to remain there, but you can see all the buildings, the whole site there. And I'm just, you know, over the hill from it here. And we have seen some pretty strange things. Have you ever seen a UFO? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, my, I, I'm, a, I'm a pilot. I, I, I have a pilot's license. I've been a pilot since 1969. I've flown probably more commercial hours than most people. Uh, I've been flying, flying them, since, them since about 63. And uh, one night coming out of Vandenberg Air Force Base, I played there. And uh, we were in a little 206 uh, Cessna, which is a, it's got, it's a funny little airplane. It's got prop on the front, prop, prop on the back. Huh. And uh, it, we're trucking along at about 200 miles an hour. And I'm, I'm not flying the plane. I'm, I, got, I got this guy hired, and I'm laying with my head over against the right-hand door, uh, sleeping. And uh, we've been cleared to come out through that uh, restricted air. Space there from Vandenberg because there was no activity. In other words, we didn't to fly through there. Sure. So, uh, and in my half slumber, uh, half state of slumber, I saw this light begin to fill the, the cockpit, and I thought, well, a car is going to pass us. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I was in an airplane. I, 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 uh, my son, uh, 
back seat, and he and I both turned around, and we looked, and we saw this enormous searchlight that just seemingly, it was like a bonus, and then we realized that it wasn't even anywhere close yet. And for about 10 minutes, it came at us, and then it just kind of seeming, seemed to be about 1,500 feet above us. It shot over us at an enormous speed. And it's hard to see, see light when there's nothing for light to shine against. But the light was so bright, we could see that light shining out into the darkness. But we couldn't tell what was behind it. It could not right directly over the top of the airplane. Yeah, it couldn't have been another aircraft conventional. No, we called we called uh, the uh, center there and the the, uh, the tower at the uh, Air Force Base Vandenberg and said, "Hey, did you guys shoot something at us?" And they said, "We don't have anything working there." And uh, I said, "Well, did you get anything on radar?" And they said, "You know, they said no, we didn't see anything." Huh. But uh, my wife saw during the uh, Arizona uh, skirmish down there uh, with all the sightings. Well, she she was on on her way back to see me in Texas to join me on tour. She was parked at a RV camp on the on the Colorado River, and she watched uh, five UFOs for for about an hour and a half uh, do their little uh, their little uh, dance back and forth like they're like they're mapping out the the Colorado River or something. Yep. Is it what they act like? They act like they're doing a survey. And she, she described it that way to me. And she said that she uh, watched it for a long time and went, went to the camper, finally just quit watching them. They were still there. And she went to the camper and she opened up this little square camper lid on top of the air, opened it all the way up, and one of them was right directly over the center of the, of the, of, of our camper. And, uh, we tried to call you, uh, you know, on the, on the, on the line to let you know about that story. And, and, uh, I have a real estate lady that lives in Phoenix uh, and was, uh, one of the people that did, uh, I think got a VCR of that, uh, Phoenix thing, lights. The thing that, uh, that hang over, that hung over the city there for a while, whatever it was. Now, I got a, a call earlier today from Unsolved Mysteries about the Phoenix lights. They're going to do a big story on that. Hold on, Merle. We'll be right back, and we'll talk UFOs a little bit. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. The devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind, but he was way behind. He was willing to make a deal. But he came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot. And the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, Boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player, too. And if you care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now, you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul because I think I'm better than you. The boy says, My name's Johnny, and it might be a... The Kingdom of Nye, Coast to Coast AM continues with Art Bell. Uh, back now to my guest, who happens to be Merle Haggard. And uh, Merle, uh, you're back on the air again. Art, I'm here. Uh, UFOs, uh, I've seen one 
actually two, but one very, very close up. And once you have seen something like that, it kind of changes your life. Uh, because you, you know that either we've got some big stuff that, you know, we're, we're not telling people about, we've got it, or it's something from somewhere else. It's one of the two. But once, once you've seen it for yourself, you know it's one of those two. Both are, would be big stories, either way. What do you think? Well, I, I tell you, I'm, I, uh, I've had, uh, some strange connections, uh, uh, to the subject, uh, my brother-in-law, Bill Ray, was part of the Reagan political team and, and wound up with all of the old Blue Book files. Really? And uh, my sister uh, has those at, at the moment. She's talking, talking about disposing of them. Oh, no. And uh, I said, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But anyway, I may get my hands on them. And she actually has those files. And, you know, they, you know, it's, Pretty much believed to be a fact that uh, that that was just another uh, front for something the government was trying to trying to do without us knowing about it. Never really had the, the uh, what they call the uh, Project Twelve or something like that. The, Majestic Twelve. The what? Majestic. That's 12. right. The Majestic Twelve, and it was actually supposed to be the ones that was pursuing the UFO. Uh, Sightings and and and, and uh, the blue book thing was just for the public. Yeah, cover for the public. Right. And anyway, he he wound up with those files, and and I've been extremely interested. I've I have uh, read and 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 uh, stayed abreast of just about everything that happened on that Roswell thing down there. It's uh, and uh, did you see the Air Force news conference? Uh, yeah. Uh, pictures. And I've actually seen the photographs. These are these are non-deniable conditions that have, uh, that have been recorded that we seem to just kind of have not come to terms with as, as a society. There's been, there's been something going on since about 1933. Well, I, again, if you had to guess, do you guess which it might be? I, I think... I think there's. I think they're from our solar system. I think. Uh, I think that uh, could be one of those. Uh, that Europa. Europa. Uh, yeah, they, they say uh, there could be uh, life on Europa. Or else there's some sort of a a way to pass through time, and uh, they're from another time zone, and uh, or else there are. They're spiritual creatures. They're, they're something to do with, uh, with the uh, their watchers. Yeah, you you pretty well nailed it. I I I think those are basically the possibilities myself. And I I don't know what it is, but I one thing for sure I know there's something. They know what we're doing, and they're they're more intelligent than we are. Um, there's a lady that a guitar player a friend of mine lives in Las Vegas. Wife is a security guard at the Area 51, and I don't have any, any punchline to this story other than to, to say that I, I asked.
I said, tell me what, what you got out there. And she said, what are you going to talk about, the Grays or the ETs? <laughs> Smiling, chuckling while she said that? Yeah, or? yeah. And, uh, and it's, uh, I don't know, man. I, I was wondering today if, if maybe that was where they, they, they wanted to keep the set that they used on the, the, the film footage they shot on the, on the moon. The moon landings, maybe they were keeping that set hit out there, you know, the, the, the debate about whether or not we went to the moon or whether we did or didn't is, is really a, you know, a good argument. Well, I've got something I'll read after, after the top of the hour. I've got a letter here from somebody who claims that he still works at Area 51. This is a very, very unusual letter. And I'm going to try to get the fellow on the air. Um, but he makes some pretty incredible claims, and I think this is a credible letter. I'll read it after the top of the hour. Anyway, something's going on out there. We see things in the sky here all the time, uh, Merle, as things that are simply not, cannot be easily explained. I was in the Air Force, you know, I know what aerodynamic flight is, and I know pretty well the advancements we've made. Now, I'm sure there's lots I don't know, but I do know that we have not publicly claimed to have conquered gravity yet. Uh, the control of gravity and the craft I've seen have defied gravity. They seem, they don't even, they, 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 um, from the descriptions, uh, they, they seem to almost be a reflection sometimes, uh, the way they're described and, uh, you know, their, their, their ability to, to defy radar. Almost like they're slipping in, out, in and out of another time zone. Yeah, I thought that a dimension, uh, perhaps. Yeah, it's, it's another a, dimension. It's like two two time zones rubbing together, and and uh, and things of that nature have occurred on the on the, on the triangle out there, where they where boats seeming seemingly just uh, fall off the edge of the earth. Yep, and I'll tell you something. I think that the weirder things get in society and with the environment, the more of this that we're going to experience. Now, I don't know why I feel that, but I do. Now, maybe that means they're watching us, watching over us, waiting for us to destroy ourselves. I have no idea. Well, the increase of earthquakes alone, seismographic activity, is, is, a, is a reversal from all scientific uh, ideas of, of the cooling of the earth and, and of us being, uh, you know, shut out of the sun some millions of years ago. And that's an, an, an opposite. Uh, that shouldn't be. We should, we should be having fewer earthquakes, but we, we've had more earthquakes to, to a degree of, of uh, like... There was something like 18 in 1946. Now they're having something over 150 yeah, the, a, a year. That's right. No, the number of six-plus earthquakes has gone up very, very dramatically. Yeah, and, and uh, there's got to be a, some sort of a... There's got to be some sort of control uh, in, in place, or otherwise... We're uh, we're on the verge of, of a chaotic uh, uh, ending uh, I, that uh, no one wants to face up to. I want to go back to uh, something you said early on about your career, because I wonder about this myself. Um, 
Merle. I, I'm, do, I'm doing very well. Um, and, in fact, unaccountably well. And I, I wonder about it a lot. I, I Sometimes I reflect on it, and I feel like it was all predestined to occur. And I struggled. I did a lot of bad things in early in life. I was very rebellious. I didn't end up in San Quentin, but I ended up in trouble. And, you know, I was in radio knocking around for a lot of years. Radio is probably like uh, your business a lot of ways. You knock around from city to city a lot. And all of a sudden, whoosh, the career took off uh, to such a degree that I sometimes sit down and I wonder about it myself. I wonder why was I chosen um, why am I being so fortunate? Why is all this working? I wonder, 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 and I wonder if it's just all predestined. I mean, do you think about that kind of thing a lot? I, I can't see how that it could be any other way. There, 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 there must be a creator who has an oversight of this development, and, and we're we're in some sort of a of a test. Some sort of a uh, uh, farm. A farm. Uh, we're a life experiment, and uh, there's got to be someone in control. Otherwise, uh, uh, some idiot would have blown San Francisco off the map by now. <laughs> and I mean, that's absolute proof. The fact that there's someone hasn't held held us up with a, with a uh, with a a nuclear bomb is proof that there is a someone with the power to keep that from happening in, in charge. Or Las Vegas, Merle. I always, I always figured San Francisco or Las Vegas. Yeah. Most of the movies have Las Vegas uh, getting bombed first. I don't always worry it, about it. It's made its way to the it's made its way to the movie script, but it's never happened. And it's and it's really an interesting question as to how and why. That hasn't occurred. And, uh, you know, uh, think what a valuable thing it would be if, if, if America could pull off this deal about going to the moon. We didn't go to the moon. Yeah. It would give us immediate, uh, if, if we could convince China and, and the rest of the world that we went to, went to the moon, uh, they're going to throw down the wall, which they did. I'll tell you, um, I interviewed Professor, Professor Michio Kaku, uh, a couple of weeks ago before I went on vacation. He's probably the next Carl Sagan. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. And he said, we are a type zero planet civilization right now. And we will know that we have achieved type one uh, if we make it through the point where we might blow ourselves to bits. And we're not there yet. We still might do it, he said. Uh, but I believe he's right. Yeah, I, I think he is too. Yeah, we're there. We haven't. We've discovered it just just enough to to destroy ourselves. And, and whether we whether we handle it right, whether we don't, is is is, is the question at the moment. Well, he said um, civilizations are measured by their ability to pass safely through the discovery and development of element ninety two. And um, so we'll see. I I don't know if I'll get around uh, be around long enough to see uh, whether we make it or not. And I'm not sure whether we're going to make it. I hope so. Uh, it would be nice to know that uh, we're more than just sort of an experiment that failed. You know, so, something that caught my interest is, uh, you know, you take these uh, these prophets, uh, you know, 
Pastor Thomas, uh, uh, people like Pastor Thomas over the years that have made these uh, these prophecies. Edgar Casey. These, Edgar Casey. These people have made the predictions that, that we that we've listened to and who had a, a great percentage of being right about certain things. I think Casey claimed something would be discovered in the left hand paw of the Sphinx this year. That's right. And uh, I believe that they have uh, through sonar somewhere or another proven that there is a chamber there, and they as to whether or not they what they found there, uh, I haven't heard yet. I don't, I, you're, are you up on that story? I'll tell you where I am with that story. I'm going to Egypt uh, October fourth. I'll be uh, at the pyramids. And I had a scheduled interview with a fellow named Zahi Hawass, who is the antiquities director. In other words, he's the guy in charge up at Giza of, you know, the, uh, the whole affair there, all the pyramids and the Sphinx and all the rest of it. And he called me. He's a very unusual fellow. He called me the other day and said, Art, I'll tell you what. Let's put this interview off. You come to Giza. I'm going to personally take you into all of the new digs, and he admits there are new digs, you can see for yourself, and then interview me, and it's going to be a very dramatic program. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> that's kind of spine-tingling. I thought so. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, um, the, what I was, the point I was driving to a while ago, or towards, was the fact that there's been no predictions by anybody uh, made uh, after, I think, uh, 2005. There is no predictions by anybody. There is no prophecy of any sort. And if you want to hear something even more chilling, you probably heard it if you listen to the program. I, I've done shows with a whole number of remote viewers. And the majority of them say there is a point just about where you're talking about there, past which they cannot see. And they say there is some sort of event that's going to occur, and they can't see past it. And that bothers me a bit. Yeah, that's and, and, and all, all of these people with these, uh, these uh, strange powers are all agreeing upon the same sort of a wall or time blockage there is, is kind, of, kind of disturbing and it is, and maybe that's when the button gets mashed. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. I just know that the next few years are really going to be interesting years. Listen, uh, we'll come right back to this after the top of the hour. I've got one question for you from a listener here, uh, which I thought was kind of intriguing. Uh, he's asking, why did you like to drive your 56 Ford on the railroad tracks? <laughs> Did you do that? Yeah, out of all, you know, the, the notoriety that I've acclaimed through music and all that, um, I built a model railroad and, and, and built a, a uh, railroad car with that had railroad wheels that came down to the track like, a, like the official to use on the railroad track. Yes. You've seen that. Sure. Well, I just made a made a, a sort of a backyard model of that, and and for some reason, the Life magazine was just just blown away with the 
fact that I'd done that, and I, all I used it for was like going on abandoned tracks and going back up and duck hunting, and you know, and, and uh, uh, finding abandoned uh, water holes where old steam engines used to fill up with, uh-huh. with water, and you'd find great fishing. How well did that work? I mean, you take a 56 Ford and convert it to sort of a railroad engine. Yeah. And how efficient was that? Well, it's, it's just it's not too good on, on uh, um, you know, your tires. you let you, you got to let your tires out, and, and, it, and if it rains a little bit, it, you'll, uh, you'll slip pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, other than that, it's all right. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a... An awful lot of abandoned railroads in America. Yes, there are. It's going, just going to waste, and, it, and so I, I just kind of like to, did that and and had some fun with it, and uh, it, it uh, caught the interest of, of Life Magazine. They did did a cover story on it in 1974. Oh, I missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hold on then. Stay where you are. When we come back, I am going to read a letter, uh, uh, actual email I just got that I'm going to follow up on. I think you'll find it really interesting, so will everybody else. So uh, relax, and we'll be back to you in just a few, uh, Murrow. All right, I'm, 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 di- I'm hanging in there and enjoying every minute. Of it. All right, stay right there. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. From the Kingdom of Nye, Coast to Coast AM continues with Art Bell. All right. Um, I'm going to read a letter that I promised to read here in a moment uh, before we go back to Merle. Uh, tomorrow night, Joyce Riley is going to be here with some of the most incredible news, incredible news you've ever heard. Uh, the next night uh, is Mark Furman. Remember Mark Furman. And then Friday night, Saturday morning, Albert Taylor, the guy who wrote Soul Traveler, which also, by the way, is about to become a movie. I want to read this letter to you, and I think it's the real McCoy. I'll let you judge for yourself. I have invited this person uh, in the manner he prescribed to get hold of me. I'll tell you more about that. Dear Mr. Bell, I've listened to your show with interest over several months now and was tempted to call in on a few occasions when the subject of Area 51 came up. I was a former employee at this installation with a top-secret clearance and was privy to some rather interesting information and sites. The reason I did not call, however, is because I don't want to simply bring this information on you or your audience without discussing a few things with you first off-air. Mr. Bell, I have information that I believe would astound you and your listeners up until now. 
I have let fear for my safety and the safety of those around me stop me from going public. Only recently have I realized it really doesn't matter what happens to me. The American people have a right to know the truth about this installation and its true purpose. I have also taken several security precautions to ensure my safety, beginning with this email address. Needless to say, this is not my real name, but it is one generic enough to blend in. I believe the time has come for the American people to know the truth. What puts me in a position to enlighten them? A top security clearance at the installation does. Although I'm no longer an employee of Area 51 as of March, I still hold my clearance because I am still called to work there occasionally. Because of my clearance, I have been privy to a lot of things that most people could only hope to learn about. To tell you the truth, Art, the information I have to share with America will probably not be believed by the masses. It is too fantastic and terrifying. If America only knew what was going on there, they'd be scared to death of their government. Time travel? Achieved. Alien research? Psychic research? Reverse engineering of alien technology? Only the tip of the iceberg. Can you now see why I've chosen to keep quiet? But you see, I feel the time has come for the truth to get out. I guess I kind of have adopted a consequences-be-damned attitude, but before I present my material, I would like to discuss some things with you. I'd very much like to use your show as a medium to release the information. However, I'm also concerned about my safety and that of my family. There are things we need to discuss. I will include a toll-free number to a pager. You may call it, and I will return the call. I have a secured number from a close friend, and it is virtually untraceable. I will call you back. Leave a voice message of up to 45 seconds when you call with a number to reach you. Mr. Bell, this is not simply an attempt to get on the radio. If that were the case, I would have called in as a normal caller. I really want to get this information to the public. I'm not so bold as to publish a book or put it on a website, as that would surely ensure my demise. But I feel your show is the best forum for what needs to be done. I look forward to hearing from you. Continued success with your show. And I won't uh, give you his name. Actually, I can. Well, maybe I'd better not. I really don't know that uh, this is not his name. And at any rate, I left uh, the number and I await a return call. Anyhow, uh, there it is. I think that's the real thing. And there's one other thing I want to share with you and Merle. And that's this. It just came in. Art, just a quick fax to let you know that way up here in B.C., Canada, uh, we've had the same kind of weather you've had today. Thunderstorms, heavy falls of hail the size of golf balls. This was out in the valley near Vancouver. We also had a couple of inches of snow at one point in the B.C. interior last July. The weather is definitely changing everywhere. No question about it. We had the first 1997 crop circle reports near Raymore, Saskatchewan, on August 7 and 11. One triplet formation in one single circle in wheat. Reports are on my website. Thanks again. Paul, Director of Circles Phenomena Research in Canada. 
So, yeah, the weather is changing all right. And, uh, Merle, what did you think of that letter from this fellow uh, who claims to be working at Area 51? Well, you know, uh, um, odds are it, may, it, it sounds like it might be authentic. Uh, uh, he, he certainly placed his words uh, well. the right way. That's what I thought, too. the valley and uh, are they coming from the direction of area 51 uh, they're coming from yeah i think the general direction it's very difficult to pin it down because you'll be sitting here and all of a sudden the whole house will go kaboom like that you, you're hearing that too oh yeah yeah let me ask this is a theory do you think that that could be the results of of uh Well, it could be, but they're not legally supposed to do that, of course, over uh, U.S. airspace. So, I I don't know. I, I can't think. I can't think of anything else. I can't imagine what they would be doing. They say they're blowing up old ammunition. You know that don't that that don't make sense. Why they would blow up old ammunition? No, I think these are sonic booms, and uh, I don't know where they're coming from. I, they're coming from the general direction, west, northwest, I believe, of me. But that, even that's hard to judge. It's really hard to judge because when it hits your house, you know, it just shakes the whole thing. And um, is, is this gentleman that wrote the letter? Is he is he where you can can call him and bring him on the show now? Well, no, he uh, he left me. A pager number, and I called that pager number a few hours ago and left my private number. And I'm waiting to hear from this man. And when I do, I if if I can talk him into it, obviously I'm going to arrange to try to get him on the air. And I hope that what's going on on out there is not as frightening as he suggests that it is. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me. I I, you know, there was a day. How old are you, Merle? I'm 61. 61. I'm 60. I'll be 61. All right. Well, I'm going to be 53 pretty soon. But, and you would even more than me remember this. When we were young, uh, even though we didn't know everything our government did, we were innocent, and we believed them for the most part. I mean, I used to believe the FBI. When they'd come out, I, I believed the FBI when they'd say something. Uh, well, their integrity was, was above reproach. It's, or at least seemed to be, and we believed it was. We thought it was. Now, that all that's changed, and I'm pretty much prepared to believe the government's doing just about anything. I think they're totally out of control uh, when when they when they look us straight in the eye and deny that that the Area 51 exists. 
rebellion in in regard to the Constitution. It's it's uh, well, America, the home of the free and the brave, and all that. Fed plutonium to kids. Uh, did all kinds of experiments on the American people that they had no knowledge of. I mean, that's, this is stuff you'd expect to have occurred maybe back in Germany, <laughs> but not here. They did it on us in Las Vegas. I lived there from 1962, and the uh, same time they were exposing those people up there in in uh, Utah. That's right. Uh, we were getting the same sort of a situation, I'm sure, there in, in, in uh, East Las Vegas out there. Uh, Do you remember when the above ground test went off? Well, yeah, I, I was around there. I was uh, like, uh, I, grew, I was born in Bakersfield, and, and then and, uh, I started coming to Vegas as early as, uh, as about 1953, and, uh, and and worked there and lived there one for one year, 61 to 62, and uh, that was during, you know, all, all of that stuff going on, and, and you know, and, and who's to know? I may, I may live to die from results of some. Something that they did over there then, uh, even yet. Can you remember the sky lighting up? I don't remember that. Uh, you know, it's hard to see the sky light up from the from the from downtown Las Vegas. You know, down where the lights are at. Right. Unless you have reason to be looking up, you might miss something like that. And uh, I was working about twelve hours a day and. and nightclubs and hosting a, a, a show on the rock and roll station at 11 o'clock every night. Were you? Yeah, and, and uh, was, uh, was having some <laughs> great years in, 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 the, in the music. You worked in rock and roll? Well, we were, we were the Buddy Holly, sort of the, between Buddy Holly and, uh, I don't know who else, something in that, that vein, uh, uh, Wynn Stewart's band was was a big band on the West Coast, and uh, and uh, I was playing bass for him over there at the time, and was and was able to impersonate Wynn, and Wynn could get away with not being there, and I could uh, I could introduce uh, the band and pretend to be Wynn, and <laughs> and uh, he got a big kick out of that, and some of the people knew I did it, and some, but it was just. Uh, I worked over there in radio, and, and I have a have a friend that lives over there. Contacted you for me the other day. Uh, uh, that uh, was in radio uh, in Las Vegas for a long time, and, and uh, Paul Harper. Do you know Paul Harper? I know the name. Yes. Yeah, he was he was a big disc jockey in Las Vegas for a long time. Just uh, you know, I, uh, there's there's a lot of a lot of years. I'm sure that we could. Remember together. Did, have you been in Peru for a long time? Uh, yeah, a long time now. Uh, yeah. Over ten years. I went in a big circle from Redding, California. I took off to find me a place to live and somewhere in the desert. And I just I, I went by like Tombstone and then turned left and went back over huh. into Phoenix and and, and uh, saw some unusual things out there and uh, couldn't find any place that wasn't taken. Uh, there's somebody living everywhere out there, and uh, but there's an eye that looks like a UFO that's sitting over on top of the mountain just outside of Tombstone, Arizona. That has 
I understand the capability of seeing 200 miles in all directions. <laughs> really? Sitting up on top of this damn mountain over there. <laughs> and I want to know what it is. So do I now. I've never even heard of it. Yep. Um, anyway, look, I, I worked in rock and roll radio for 20 years. And I bounced all around. And um, I'm, I'm going to be absolutely bluntly honest with you. When I was younger, I hated country music. I hated country music. So did I. And one day, instead of starving to death, which I was on the edge of, I took a job at a country station. And it, the darndest thing, um, when I first went to work, I hated every day. I hated it. I couldn't believe that I was playing this music. <laughs> and then, slowly, insidiously, First, there was one song that I started to like. Then there were two. Then there were three. Then there were more. And, be, you know, it, as the months went on, I spent a, quite a number of months at this country station. All of a sudden, I began to like country music. I couldn't believe it. So it's an acquired taste, I guess, huh? Uh, it's changed. Uh, uh, and there, there's some intelligence in country music that... Uh Maybe uh, maybe the the uh, wasn't in tune before, you know. Uh, and and uh, there there was only a few country artists that were worth mentioning, you know, like the great the greats like Jimmy Rogers and Eddie Arnold, and Ernest Tubb, and people like that. Hmm. Uh, but uh, those people I liked as a child and grew up listening to Bing Crosby and Bob Wills but I did not like what they called uh, hillbilly music yeah. at the time I, I, I'm with you I liked Elvis Presley I liked Frank Sinatra I liked Bing Crosby and I liked Bob Wills and I liked uh, Lefty Frizzell and Hank Williams hmm. but I didn't like uh, a lot of that uh Stuff that sounded like it was coming from their, from, with their nose, with their clothes down on their nose. Yeah, exactly right. I didn't like that. And, uh, and uh, I wanted, when I went into the music business uh, and started making records, I wanted my records to sound classy. And I wanted them to have style. And, and we've had a band for 32 years, and we've, we've, we've stayed in the, in the American country music charts for 24 years. 24 years. With our own sound, and, uh, and we're still together. We, we still have not. They've not missed paychecks since 1965. And uh, I'm really proud of the band. We have a great band, and we play everything. We play everything from blues to rock and roll to jazz uh, and to uh, uh, country and pop. We play all all sorts of music. We play uh, Louisiana. Cajun music, we call it call Cajun. <laughs> and uh, we play uh, reggae. We, 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 we do it all, we, whatever is necessary. I, I'm intrigued by reggae uh, music. I, I think music. it's great. Uh, this is uh, Bob Mar Marley. Is, uh, are you you're a fan of the. Have you heard the. I think his name is Bob Marley. He's a big uh, star down in Jamaica. No, I don't know the name, but I've, I'll, I've, I'll, get you, me, I'll get you a tape. 
I'd, I'd love to hear it. All right, hang tight. We're at the bottom of the hour, and I've got a good question for you when we come back. From the high desert, where the weather is weird, this is Coast to Coast AM. Back now to Merle Haggard. Merle, uh, I'm going to ask you a real direct question. Uh, you, by now, you probably made a lot of money. Um, so you must be rich. Well, no. Let me let me just let me say this to you. I, I've I've made a lot of money. Um, I've I've spent a lot of money. I uh, invested in in a, in a, uh, a resort in Northern California that cost me about fourteen million dollars. Fourteen million. I was going to ask you about New Country, but before I get to that, the reason I asked you about money was because Ted Turner said something that's always haunted me, uh, and he's got an awful lot of money. And he said, you know, it's a funny thing, uh, now that I've got all this money and he has got baseball teams and CNN and all this stuff, he said, actually being rich is kind of an empty bag. How can we? Uh, 
how can we fight the corporate uh, attorneys that were already ready for us before we got there? You know what I'm saying? I mean, if they paid me for two million pieces, they probably sold 30. I interviewed Willie Nelson, as you know. Uh, you're good. I think you're pretty good friends with Willie, aren't you? Willie and I are. are we've been friends for 35 years. We played. We played a lot of five card stud and are, are uh, closer than friends. We're really. We made one million seller album together, and, and uh, I think he's. A, I think he's the greatest artist on. on Right now. Well, he had a real serious run-in with the IRS, as you well know. Um, have you had any similar problems with the uh, with the federal people? Well, I, I'm in the process of, as we speak, of, of, of after uh, working my tail off for 38 years in this in this fine America, uh, of, of being somewhere near paying the IRS off. Um, you know, there was there was a lot of cattle buys that didn't really exist that were only on paper during the 70s. Willie Nelson, people like me and Tennessee Ernie, and a lot of people were taken in on, on big uh, scams that turned out to be scams, and they came back on us for a lot of, a lot of IRS money. And, uh, you know, when you're talking about $12 million. A lot of money. You know, the, the, the cowboys don't make that much money. You know, that, that's a lot of money to me. You know, we're talking about back when $12 million was still $12 million, you know, like 10, 12 years ago. <laughs> it's still $12 million to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it, like uh, it, now you'd have to be talking about 60 or $70 million to, to be... Really talking about a lot of money? On the, on the same... I suppose so. But, uh, uh, anyway, you don't find it in an empty bag. In other words, uh, you, you wanted money, you got I, money, and you money, used it. it. Like I said a while ago, money has never been the point of it all for me. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I heard you talk about how much you love radio. I, I do. I love radio the same way I, I, as, as a listener. And uh, um, I loved what I, what I do for a living uh, as much as you love very kind of you. I, yeah, you're right. I love it, and I do. And money is a byproduct. And now it's a byproduct. But I'll tell you what. I starved to death for a lot of years. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I did, too. You know, it was... I, I didn't come out of San Quentin with $15 shoes and, uh, and you know, and walk into the Hall of Fame. It, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything like that. But you knew it was going to happen. Somehow. You know, I wasn't... I wasn't all that surprised. I'll, t I'll put it to you like that. I, I, I was. Uh, I felt like that. Uh, you know, when, when we recorded a hit record, I, I knew it was a hit record before the public did. You can feel it when you get one. Absolutely. You know, it's it's just like uh, uh, this book of yours. Uh, you may write another book, and uh, you, you may feel differently about it. You may feel like it'll sell, and you may feel like it won't. You'll probably be, be right from your experience that, you'll, that you're having here with this, with this book. Well, 
it's a funny thing. I, it's like, this is my second book. I wrote a book about myself, which was interesting, and about radio and all that sort of thing. But then the second book wrote itself, sort of. I, I didn't... Uh, that's, a, that's the way good songs do. Is that right? Yeah, they write themselves. They, they, they just kind of come together before your very eyes. And, uh, and you wonder why you were blessed to be the one to, you know, to, to give it to the world. Uh, exactly. Exactly. I wonder about that very same thing all the time. I wonder about it. Why? Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's real. You know, there is a, you know, to not, not get, uh, religious or spiritual or anything, but there is somewhere in the Bible that says there has been some chosen out from the rest. That, uh, that your names uh, were spoken before the worlds were formed. I, I, I sure don't understand it. Uh, uh, that indicates that uh, whoever God is, he knew who we were going to be before we are. Because he sees the whole scope having no time as, as a, a framework. He's able to see the, the beginning and the end. That's the only way I can... I guess maybe in a lot of ways. I don't think I'm that good. In other words... There's a million people behind me working in a million small markets because I was there. You know, everybody always thinks you're an overnight success. doesn't really work that way. Um, but there's a million people with as much talent as I've got. I'm convinced of it. And for some reason, the same things didn't happen to them. And there's a lot of good singers out there, too. I'm sure you hear from them, and they, they probably come up to you all the time with their songs and their hopes and their dreams. There's a million of them out there, but somehow you're there and I'm here. And I, I don't know how. Well, uh, I, don't, I, don't think that, uh, I don't think that even people that are listening to us will argue with the fact that we are, that, we, with, with, that we've been gifted. And uh, there, is, there is two forces. There is an evil force and a, for, a force for the other side, other direction. And it's obvious, and 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 the and the in the world, it's obvious that there's, there's two forces, and uh, for some reason or another, we've both been chosen to deliver messages. We're messengers and of some kind. Yes. Yes, we we uh, Willie Nelson and I discussed that. We have we have a message, a continuing message to uh, deliver. As writers and as, as uh, speakers and singers, people of uh, integrity, uh, placing our name on, name on, beside nothing we don't believe in with our hearts. You know uh, how I feel about, uh, if you're a listener, you know how I feel about the song The High, Highwayman? I think it's, I would imagine not know how you feel. Um, very strongly. Oh, <laughs> it's great. It, it's obviously a song about reincarnation. And um, all years ago, I just happened to be watching uh, MTV, and I caught that song, and it just it hit me so profoundly, and it always has ever since. Uh, it just it says the right things. It says, I think what I believe. I think I believe in reincarnation. I believe that, that the God that I believe in is... is is big enough to supply 
the properties for all the beliefs <laughs> in the world. Yeah. I, I, I believe he's really that big. I really, I really believe there's somebody in charge with the the size and the magnitude to, to cover your religion, my religion, and everybody else's. It almost has to be that way, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It it, it has to be. There is someone, someone. Uh, there's, there's a few people in the world that actually believe that. Someone spoke, and not a thing became everything. <laughs> and, and unless, and, and it it favors that way of thinking more every day as as science probes deeper. They 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 are they're coming up with more uh, reasons to find the, the spoken word to be the thing that holds the whole deal together. Somebody spoke it into existence, and uh, just like it said, you know. And and, and uh, if you take if you take the Bible literally, it really, and you take it little bitty words, and you take them apart, and you you and you, you analyze it, it says uh, a m more than it appears to to begin with. And it's right on the money with the, with the prophecy. Yeah. I believe that, too. Um, somebody here asked me to ask you, uh, speaking of uh, Willie, uh, to ask you about a song that you did with Willie, uh, somehow how you finished it, Poncho and Lefty. Well, the um, we, we, we were recording at his recording studio in, in uh, Texas there, I think probably the story they're wanting to hear. He, uh, we, we really hadn't found this. We'd recorded uh, like 20 something songs, but we really didn't have a, a title song. And he came into the bus at uh, about 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'd been up for like five days with him fasting and recording. We were not eating, huh. we were doing what was called a, a cayenne pepper fast. Cayenne pepper, pure maple syrup, and and uh, and lemon, and that's all we had to eat. Does the creativity get better or begin to slide as the days go by? It gets better. It gets better. Yeah, uh, Willie went ten, ten days without eating. I went four. Oof. And I'm telling you, your mind becomes so sharp, and your voice becomes so fine, and your ears become you you hear things that so. Uh, so much uh, better, and, and uh, your eyes—you uh, see the leaves are more brilliantly. They look like they did when you were five years old. And uh, things, uh, everything changes, uh, and when you go into a fast. And we recorded that album while we were taking, while we were fasting, and uh, he came in and woke me up after five days of being being awake, you know, with him and uh, doing this fast and everything. I'd laid down for 30 minutes. If you've ever been up for a long time and laid down for 30 minutes, you're really tired. Oh, yes. And that's the moment you're just about to go under. He woke me up out in the bus, out in this parking lot out there. He, he said, uh, he said, well, he said, I found this song on, on this uh, Emmy Lou Harris record called Poncho and Lefty. And he said, I think it would be a hit. And he said, I think we ought to cut it. And I said, boy, I think you're right. You know, he said, well, I've got the band in there right now. I said, 
uh, well, it's 4.30, and I said, I can't even see what you've got written down there. <laughs> and I said, I'll, I'll put my part on in the morning. He said, no, he said, I want you to do it live with me. And I said, you're, you're serious? He said, yeah. He said, get up come in here. <laughs> so I got up and went in there, and they had the band, all some of the greatest players, players in America was in there in, in that room. And uh, they kicked this, this song off. And handed me these lyrics written on the back of a, of a paper sack, and uh, and said, "Sing these, sing this, sing these lines." And they hummed this melody to me, and we did it one time through, and that was it. And uh, and I went back and went to bed, and about a month later, it, came, uh, it was number one. <laughs> and uh, that's an incredible story. That is an incredible story. With, was something uh, I wasn't even fully awake. Uh, I mean, it was all, totally all really fine. I mean, it's just finding a good song is almost like writing a good song. You know, it's the next thing to it. And he found that great song, and it was written by, um, I, I'm trying to think of the kid's name. I can't think of his name. Uh, well, uh, anyway, it's a grand song. Towns Van Zandt. Towns Van Zandt wrote the song. Huh. And, uh, Incredible song. I mean, it sold sold a million quick. You know, it was one of those uh, instant hits. Yeah, creativity comes in these great bursts, and uh, for a while you just can't do anything wrong. Everything you do will turn out right, and it can go the other way too. Oh yeah, it's 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 a uh, this this is uh, like I'm having the other side of the coin right now. I'm. Um, I, Johnny Cash and I was talking the other day, and I said, uh, Cash, I said, I haven't had a number one record since 1989. He said, Haggard, he said, I haven't had one since 39. <laughs> Listen, rest. I want to open up the phones when we get back. Let people ask you some questions. Would that be all right? That'd be fine. All right, stay right there, and we will be right back. And we'll let this one take us to the top of the hour. I was a highway man Along the coast roads I did ride With sword and pistol by my side Many a young maid lost her baubles to my trade Many a soldier shed his lifeblood on my blade The masters hung me in the spring of 25 but I am still alive I was a sailor I was born upon the tide With the sea I did abide I sailed a schooner around the Horn of Mexico I went aloft to furl the mainsail in a blow That I got killed But I'm living still I was a dam builder Across the river deep and wide Where steel and water did collide A place called Boulder on the wild Colorado I slipped and fell into the wet concrete below. They buried me in 
that great tune that knows no sound But I'm still around I'll always be around It is kind of an odd, strange, even eerie, discomforting feeling to see the things that I wrote about in my book coming true. I just got this fax, and it fits in with what we've been talking about. It comes from John in Falls Church, Virginia, dear Art. Hope you get this fax. Our governor, uh, rather the governor of Maryland, was on TV on Saturday and made an announcement that the Pocomoc River, I hope I'm saying that correctly, was closed to all people and boats, etc. This is due to the ongoing problem with hysteria in the river. He also said four state workers who were trying to solve the problem had been infected from the water, and they and one other case all had memory loss as well as lesions now showing up on their brains, like the ones on the fish. They are now worried about getting into the Chesapeake Bay. No one knows what to do at this point in time, and I'm wondering how much farther this is going to go. Uh, that, John, makes two of us, and... Um, with Merle 3, and I suspect a whole planet full of people out there. I'm, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not happy about it. Uh, Merle, welcome back. I'm here. You hanging in there? I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well look, if you get, if you start getting tired, you let me know. No, I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm just, I was involved in listening to what you were saying there. And, uh, it's remarkable, uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly how to react to that. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I just, I knew this change was on the way, and now it's sort of here. Uh, let, let's try the phone and see what's out there. First time caller line, you're on the air with Merle Haggard. Hi. Hello, Art. Where are you? I'm Melissa in Glendale, California. All right. And it's an extreme pleasure to speak with you and your guest. It's a wonderful show. I have two questions for Mr. Haggard. The, one, the first is, uh, Mr. Haggard, where did you meet your wife? Hmm. Fasting, you mean? Wow, okay. And it just tastes kind of like a hot, hot uh, orange juice is what it tastes like. 
drank that, and then he drank an equal glass of water with it. I guess he'd have and to. And he did something, uh, something like uh, some sort of a, a light, a laxative, also. Otherwise, uh, once you start to once you start to cleanse your body, uh, you will become poisoned from these things that come loose from the insides if mm-hmm. you don't uh, have them pass on through. So, how much do that do you drink per day? hear about this in the first place. Who came up with this idea? that I was getting even weirder than usual, or? No, if you wipe into health food and all that sort of thing. Oh, yes. Well, have her her get you the correct uh, light laxative to go along with this recipe. And it tastes very good, by the way. And it's, uh, it's, uh, you will not go to sleep. (laughs) Cayenne pepper is a healer. Also, it's it's an upper. And it, it lowers your breath. then it's not like speed. It's not like coffee or speed or something like that.
really true. Uh, I think uh, next time you talk to Will, uh, talk to him about it. He's very good at describing the uh, the effects from it, and it's very good for you. I mean, it has it has all kinds of uh, repercussions that. My wife is into herbal medicines, and uh, she, uh, with regard to laxatives, uses, uses uh, natural ones. Well, my wife would kill me if I didn't mention that she's into the same thing. So, is that right? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Um, wild card line, uh, you're on the air with uh, Merle Haggard. Good, good morning. Good morning. Um, good morning, Merle. It's an honor to speak to you. I, I love your music. And uh, I had a couple questions for you. And Where are you, sir? I'm in Illinois. Illinois, all right. And I've heard you on WTAM in Cleveland. And I would imagine WLS, too, Chicago. Mm, um, well, I've, no, I've been listening to just WTAM, but there's been the signals mixing back and forth. Mm -hmm. with the, uh, we've had a couple geostorms, in fact, for the first time this year, uh, last week, geomagnetic well, storms. it's about time. Yeah, actually, the solar cycles were at the low point, and it should be ending soon. Uh, it's been, that's another very odd thing while we're on the subject of odd things. Uh, the solar cycle is, is 22 years, actually, 11-year cycles. And we should have been coming up out of this one, and for some reason we haven't yet. Yeah, the um, data center, that's our, you know, the geodata centers. Hey, uh, listen, I don't want to yeah. get you off on a sidetrack, sir. Okay. Uh, you had a question. Yeah, um, did you ever, Merle, did you ever um, meet Harry Chapin? Harry Chapin. Yeah, he, uh, he. Yeah, I think so. I know he would have probably been, you know, a lot when you were younger. It was like uh, early eighty, late seventies. He passed away in seventy-seven, I believe. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I have. Yes. I really, you know, your philosophy in some ways is a lot like him, and I really like him, and I like you even more now. And I'm going to be actually getting all your albums. Thank and you. I just really am glad that uh, you know you're you're saying what you know. And what you believe, you know, there's a lot of people now that just don't do that anymore. And when you were talking about your fasting, yeah, you had um, you talked about the bursts of energy, and and I like to think of that as like spontaneity, you know, spontaneous, you know, energy. Um, it's just uh, you give you give your interior organs, I think, a break. And, and all the energy comes to comes to the surface, mm -hmm. and uh, and you're getting rid of poisons too. And you're, you're getting rid of poisons and uh, things maybe that may have been in there since you were two years old, you know. Um, but it's an incredible feeling, and I, and I I recommend it to anyone that's that's in, you know I think they should probably see it to see a doctor and let, let a doctor. Uh, say that they're all right to do that. I wouldn't want to recommend that and have somebody sue me and Art Bell. That's right. Uh, so consult your doctor, tell him what you're going to do, and uh, see if he says okay. I wonder how many doctors would say okay or would say you're out of your mind. Um, I think there's a lot of doctors that are that are uh, uh, trying to update themselves on 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 the health. Kick of America, the sudden uh, um, need for uh, an alternative medicine. Uh, it, it's really, it's really big. 
So you're more likely to f uh, find one that would be sympathetic to it today. I think, I think doctors are, are becoming educated as well as we are. That's good. All right, here's somebody, a fax. Let me read it to you. Uh, I think it's important. It drags you back to something you really already mentioned briefly, but... Uh, dear Art, thanks for having Merle on the show. Hope you can ask him what his opinion is concerning the state of country music radio today. Radio today. As it is, artists like Merle, George, Willie, Tammy, etc. can't be found on major big city market radio stations. These artists have had many, many hits that still observe rotation. And they still uh, put out new albums. And it's criminal for country radio to outcast them. Merle's last album, 1996, was... A top ten pick of mine in 96. And so, yeah, it's a good question. What's going on with country music generally? Well, it, it's uh, the bottom line, I think, is money. You know, it's just um, what, what the public is, is listening to right now is, is, uh, is background music for videos. Uh, these, these young kids have, have got... Got a couple of stations, uh, MTV, uh, uh, three or four different television satellite stations that are playing these videos. And used to, music was written so that it stood up on its own instead of being... Uh, didn't need a video. Didn't need a video, and that was the idea of trying to use words to describe a picture or, or, or a story. And now, uh, it's, it's the other way around. They, they, they've got these bad videos. They're not in Hollywood, and, 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 and filming, filming is not their expertise in Nashville. So then the music is supporting the video. Uh, yeah, and, 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 uh, and it sounds that way. You know, and to me, uh, I wish I could say, you know, otherwise. And there's exceptions to the rule. There's, you know, there's there's been some, some a few great songs, but it seems like we're uh, we're way short of good songs. To me, I don't know. It, uh, I can't think of anything that I could whistle or that you could whistle back at me uh, in, in, in some time. You know, it's been it's been a while since there's been a a tune that actually had wide enough appeal that, uh, that a youngster could whistle or would want to learn how to play on a guitar. I, I wonder if it really is that change, and I suspect it is, but I, I remember when I was young, my dad would come in, and, I mean, this is stuff that's great now, 50s, early 60s, but mid-50s, my dad would come in, I'd be playing whatever was on the radio, and he'd say, my God, how can you listen to that crap? Turn down, turn it off, I don't want to hear it. And here I am now, looking at most of the music they're playing today on rock stations, uh, and I'm saying, how can people listen to that crap? And I guess some of the same things going on in country, huh? I don't know that... It's, it's 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 different. It's not the same thing. There's there's an extraction of humanity. So the question is, is it our age? It, it, like uh, I heard Burt Reynolds talking about films. It's the same thing in films. Uh -huh. They don't do the stunts anymore. The computers uh, do it. For example. 
you know, it's funny you should mention that. I sat down earlier today and watched a movie uh, called Volcano. It was all special effects. Yeah. All of it. Computer. is that's what's selling. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM. Say, Art, about a week ago, we had the most intense lightning storm in ten years of my time here in Albuquerque. It lasted for hours and hours, poured, hailed. The lightning was something like a bad science fiction movie. Alex. Yeah, Alex, I know. And I just, I keep getting uh, faxes and email like this from all over the country. Anyway, uh, back now to Merle Haggard. And uh, Merle, you know, you were saying back when, you know, the music was about something. And that makes me ask a couple of questions. One, do you think that it is important that people like yourself, Willie, others, had to go. I mean, you, you went to prison. You had really a hard life early. Is that an important ingredient in being able to do what you do? You know, I, I wouldn't recommend what, what I did to anybody or how it happened for me, but it was a way of, uh, of education. It was a, it was a method of, um, of, uh, Covering maybe things that I would never have known for sure. Yeah. And was able to write about, and uh, we're going to be able to tell about it in, in a full-blown motion picture. And uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of child abuse and uh, things that will come to surface, and uh, that, that that exists and goes on right now in, in California. You mean in the movie about you?
here comes part two. Is it not possible then that the present generation, Generation X, they call them, uh, they haven't been through a big war. A lot of them are pretty well-to-do from well-to-do parents because America's been pretty well-to-do. And they haven't had the same kinds of strain and pain and trouble that a lot of people from earlier generations certainly have had. And if you don't have that kind of pain and trouble, maybe you can't write the kinds of songs that you've written. Well, I think you've answered, answered the reason to why is there's not as much success in my my backyard right now is because a lot of these same people that you're talking about can't really uh, sincerely identify with a guy like me. They, they've uh, they say, you know, I, you know, it's it's been so good that uh, I can't think about having to go to go to prison, you know, or. Uh, in some way or another, it's. Uh, I don't think they 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 identify with me right now. Well, country music was always, at least it was always my understanding that it was about the real basics of life. And uh, if you've never really experienced the real basics of life, if you're a pretty shallow person, how do you write about it? Yeah, it, it, it's like it's like the trip to. Uh, uh, you know, the uh, Mark Twain, uh, legendary Mark Twain, he traveled everywhere, and the stories is, were about what he saw and, and what he lived. And my father passed away, and, and uh, it was devastating to me. I, that, I think that's why the the uh, Princess Diana thing was was uh, personal to me is because my father was, was the hero of my life, and he died when I was nine. And uh, I thought about those boys, and uh, you know, and take all the royalties, strip them from everything, and, and just make them human beings. They lost their mother, to, and uh, I identified with that. Yeah, and, and I cried a tear too. Yes, uh, it's un it's just uh, uh, we were talking about it earlier. I, I, uh, it's happening to most Americans, and I can't account for it fully. And I'm I'm going to give it some thought, but this she she was more important to us than we possibly knew. Didn't realize it. It didn't realize it until she was gone, huh? Yeah, it was. Uh, when the century is all done and it's all boxed up, and we look back at it, uh, it's going to be the most uh, most uh, notorious death in the entire century. It may be. It, you know, it's, it's just uh, I've never seen such such an outpouring of uh, of, uh, of uh, sameness in the area of uh, for one human being. There's there's no negativity at all. And uh, it's an interesting phenomenon. Maybe it's a good thing. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's the best uh, the best thing I've seen out of out of the. The people we call ourselves in a long time. I'm glad to see that we can we still have emotion as a, as a society. Me too. East east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Merle Haggard. Uh, good morning. Hi, uh, all right, Merle. Hello. Hi there. Where are you, sir? I'm uh, from Milwaukee. Milwaukee. All right. 
And I uh, wanted to call about some of your earliest recording. Okay. I love you. Pardon? Sir, are you there? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, some of your earliest recordings. Uh, your first album was recorded for Capitol in 1965? Uh, well, uh, no. Uh, that, that, my first album was recorded for Tally Records in 1962. In 1962? Yeah. Uh, what was that? That was called Sing Me a Sad Song. Sing Me a Sad Song. Yeah. In 1962. Uh, so, so you've been at it for uh, a little over uh, 30 years then? Been, on, been at it uh, uh, professionally that long. Uh-huh. And, of course, there were some years of, of amateur... Uh, Starving, star starving to death. Right. <laughs> West of the Rockies, you're on there with Merle Haggard. Hello. Hello. Where are you, sir? Pahrump. Uh, you're in Pahrump? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, you're going to have to speak up good and loud because you're not too loud. Get into the phone and yell at us a little. All right, is that any better? Yeah, it is. Okay, well, I'm from the Generation X, and I have to say that I actually like your music, Mr. Haggard. Oh, God, I'm, I'm glad you you do. Yeah. I think it, I mean, it's real down to earth, and I really get into that. I mean, all these, like you were saying earlier, the people now, I mean, the videos are, that's just what's ruling it. But I have a question. You were talking about where y'all were mentioning the Phoenix Lights, and Mr. Bell had a guest on before that said he could make the lights appear over Perump here. Yes. And Yes, and, and I'm still looking for them, uh, unless the light show we just had last night uh, was, <laughs> I don't think it was. Yeah, me neither. But it didn't was... sound like George Burns, did it? <laughs> <laughs> um, caller, uh, you, you, you confirm, if you're really here in Perum, you tell everybody, we really got clobbered uh, last night, didn't we? Oh, God. We got clobbered tonight with uh, lightning and rain and hail. Yeah. Wind. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Anyway, uh, do you have a question? Uh, yeah, my question is for, well, Mr. Haggard, do you believe the lights over Phoenix were actually UFOs? All right, good one. Uh, Earl? Um, I believe that um, there's a possibility that they could be from our own in that direction myself because it seems to me if they have something secret going on the last thing they want to do is display it over a uh, an area of about 2 million plus I'm looking at a, at a, at a book here called Top Secret UFO and there's, there was an incident that occurred in Los Angeles in 1942 yes and uh, there's a band member in my my saxophone player that was actually there and actually saw this event this yeah, they had something similar occur that was over the city uh, less than four months after the planes uh, bombed Pearl Harbor. Here, here is enormous uh, deal over Culver City in Moses, and they 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 shot fourteen round, fourteen hundred round ammunition at it. And it's uh, sound.
found a like very similar uh, description with the lights. Uh, uh, I suppose players do with those lights in that way, and just sat there and they fired at it for I don't know, a couple of hours, and then just started to drift off towards uh, uh, I think the east, and then sped away. Well, I vacillate between several theories regarding our government and UFOs. One is that they know exactly what they are and are somehow somehow have made some sort of the technology. And then, on the other hand, I sometimes think that the slightest idea either what these things are and what they cannot explain, they deny. So I don't know what the truth is, but it's one of the above. What if I had a, a theory, a religious Certainly, but I I think that's possible. With lot, all the other explanations, sure it is. Be getting ready for the big show. Yeah, I don't no doubt that at all. Uh, East of the Rockies. Good morning. You're on the air with Merle. How are you, please? Uh, Rochester, New York. Rochester, New York. Okay, we hear you. So you're gonna have to yell at us a little bit. Do you have a question? Yeah, I have a question in regards to a show that was aired over uh, last week before he came back. Art Bell. Um, briefly, what what? Um. Okay, you had someone on your show come, Joe, and you <laughs> you were talking about Joe. Do you recall? Um, uh, well, as Joe and spiritual what? Dealt with uh, spiritual awakening and um, demonic force. And, uh, there was one guy named Joe and one guy named uh, that you were talking to. Well, remember, hon, I wasn't last week, and I wasn't sure what okay. shows they did in replay, so I'm not sure what you're talking mm -hmm. about. Right it now. was an encore show from March. I, I was. Okay. Um, anyway, it was the kind, I really can't remember his name. It was All right, question. Well, my question was, I wanted to be able to get in contact by asking them, did they have, um, did, have they ever experienced spiritual like awakening or spiritual movement? Uh-huh. All right, is to call the, the tape number, you can get a tape. And from that, get all the information that was on, and that's the best I can do for you right now. 100 917 Uh Hope that helps you. I'm sorry I didn't immediately. First time caller line, you're on the air with Merle Haggard. Hi. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm on the air. Yes, you are. Yes. Well, it's a pleasure. Enjoy show art. Thank you. Show. Uh, I'm a musician also. I've been I was 14. I'm 41 now. And. Uh, if anyone doesn't under doesn't realize what uh would be to uh Merle Haggard has got the most pure and original voice I've ever heard. Incredible. And my question for you, Merle, is uh you have a couple of telecasters. Were they made special for you before there was a fender custom shop? They pearl in or have an inlay on the headstock. You're talking about um they're doing a new a new kind of uh, guitars with Fender. Fender out of my my special guitar, and it's called a Dog Telly. Oh, okay. And uh, they're uh, 
whatever you can or you know, like at a, at a, at a music store. Yeah, and you've had probably maybe ten or fifteen years, or maybe ten years. It's a design that I came about after you know all the carrying it. They're 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 just just that uh, you know all the years of doing it. Uh, it's uh, all in that one guitar. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you're, the music that you wrote and sang back in these is just <laughs> incredible. I tell you, and there's nobody yeah. here now that has any amount of soul. Or, I mean, it's the subs are writing and you're singing all together as a pack to me, the big, you know, for rock and roll. So, Thank you very much. That's all. It's been an inspiration. All right. Well, uh, call. Uh, you know, I'm that way about certain electrons. I, I'll just about them. I won't let them go. I can't, I don't turn them away like uh, um, parted something or another. Is there? It's you know I'm a ham radio and I'm just so into radio. Uh, Merle's crazy that way. And is it that way with the guitar? I mean, do you get matched? Well, it, there's a lot of, of years of, uh, of playing guitars that weren't quite right. And what what wasn't right could fix it. And that's kind of what I did with this new guitar this guy's talking about. It's a Connell Gibson. Uh, it's, a, it's a Fender. And uh, to the point where that there isn't, there's nothing entering with you and playing the music. There's nothing about the guitar that, that isn't perfect. Yeah, and no blame on the guitar. That's right. <laughs> Fender, uh, back in Nashville? Uh, um, Dean Factory, um, Bruce Bowden, uh, 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 and uh, I think the other name is that in Nashville. Nashville and the salsa. Uh -huh. Well, they, the Nashville they, they, folks live this pro every yeah. night, every single night. Well, they they they, they build uh, the best guitar in the world right now. I really believe that there's like fifty guitars. Oh my! Day. Oh my! Really? They're really good, you know. And that's to do anything uh, uh, on a similar line of quality at all, and they're doing it. Well, it's nice, America. Yeah, and uh, some of us are being done. We've got exactly one more hour, and yours, if I can for it. I'm, I'm up for it. Well, then, you'll stay there. We're going to break here at the hour. My guest is an absolute legend. If you're in for him, it's what we have phone lines for. And so I assume you do have questions. I'm Art Bell, and this, of course, is Coast to Coast AM. Haggard, and uh, Merle, here's a fax I want to read you. I recall Mr. Haggard when I was growing up in East Bakersfield in the 50s and 60s. I was a boy at the time, and I remember him to be a near desperado musician, always at the forefront of the local country music and always in trouble with the law. Please ask Merle about his memories of Bakersfield in the 50s and 60s, most particularly how the country music scene in the honky-tonks along the Edison Highway affected his music style, and did he play with cousin Herb Henson, Buck Owens, or Rose Maddox? Did he work for or know Semi Mosley? Can he tell us his most memorable experience from that time? Merle? Uh, 
I did know Simi Mosley, and I did work with, with Cousin Herb and uh, Buck Owens and Rose Maddox and all those people that he mentioned. And, uh, uh, and what was the last part of the question? Well, there, he referred to your... Uh Des he referred to you as a desperado musician, always at the forefront of the local country music and always in trouble with the law. Well, he, he might have known me. Uh, I, I never had any trouble with the law after I started playing music. I, music was my savior. And uh, I was uh, notorious for having been a, a juvenile delinquent, but, uh, but, but a kind of proudly, I can say, I pulled myself out of that up out of that with my own by my own bootstraps and and uh and I, I, I haven't seen the inside of a police car in a long time. So that's uh sort of a sort of a thing though that just sticks with you I guess as a reputation. Oh yeah, yeah it runs ahead of you even you know, no matter if I, you know how much good I may do in my life, you know, it seems it, it's almost a bit of a shame that that has to somehow, uh, you know, get all the attention. Well, but I guess you've got to ask yourself whether, whether you'd really be where you are now if you hadn't been there. I, I doubt that. I, I, I realized that it was, a, it was my, it was like going to the Army for some guys. I grew up there. Some people grew up in the Army. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was certainly an education. There, there's a lot to be learned in prison if uh, if a kid uh, or a, a man or whatever should should need that uh, rehabilitation, there is there is industrial attitudes a person can take. There's educational uh, there's education available there. I uh, that's right. And for some, it was a military. I went in the Air Force, and uh, I remember being down at Lackland Air Force Base in basic training with a first sergeant screaming and yelling in my face. Uh, and I, I remember lying in the bunk in those early days of basic training, saying to myself, Oh my God, what have I done to myself? Have I lost my mind? I need to, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> and you grow up quick. You grow up quick. There's a period. From cha you change from, from a teenager to, to, to a man. And, uh, or to, to a young man. And yeah. There and, is. Uh, and it's done in different ways, you know. Everybody's different. And uh, it so happened mine came that way. And uh, a lot of it was very military. You know, the reform schools in, in uh, California were militarily uh, conducted. And uh, so um, I got, I know how to march. <laughs> no, that's the. All right, well, I'm going to try to... Uh, oh, there is one more thing. I'm getting a lot of calls. Uh, it's inevitable since you talked about it. Uh, Art, I missed the recipe that uh, uh, you were talking about, uh, the cayenne recipe. And so in order to prevent my having to answer this question for the next year and a half, would you one more time... Although, listen, folks, we, ha we must, for the sake of our own tales... Say, you should go and see your doctor before you ever endeavor to do something like this. Having said that, what is the recipe that you used? Uh, you take a lemon, you cut it in half, and uh, if it's, uh, uh, 
juicy lemon, you try to get about um, a quarter, a little more, a quarter of an inch of uh, lemon in the bottom of a uh, eight-ounce drinking glass, and you take a, um, a teaspoon of uh, cayenne pepper, uh, preferably fresh cayenne pepper, and uh, the same amount of pure maple syrup as you had with the lemon. We'll call it one part lemon, one part maple syrup, about a quarter of an inch, right. an inch of each. Then you fill it up with water, and you, and you just uh, stir it up. You drank that, and you drank another glass of water, a matching glass of water with that. You need it, actually. Naturally, that's the, that's the, uh, the lemon and the, uh, is the cleanser, uh, according to my understandings of, understanding of physics, that lemon turns counterclockwise inside your body. Hmm. And so it serves as a, as a cleanser. And then the, the, um, the sh maple syrup, pure maple syrup is a, is like glucose, uh, in the hospital. And it keeps you going. Right. And then, and the cayenne pepper is a healer, and it's also loaded with vitamin C. And then you want to do uh, like a spirulina plankton type uh, laxative, something light that, that uh, takes the uh, things that begin to jar loose from your interior out. and uh, takes it on out. Otherwise, you end up poisoning yourself. That's right. All right. Well, there it is. And remember, folks, go to your doctor first. Uh, we told you that. Remember, we told you that. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Merle Haggard. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, I assume I'm on right now? Well, you better be, or we're all in trouble. <laughs> yes, I'm calling from Philadelphia. I've been listening to the interview since its start, and I've really been enjoying it. Uh, I heard about tonight's interview, actually read about it on my uh, Internet discussion group. It's a group that's devoted to a discussion of a book called The Arantia Book. Oh, yes. And the subscriber uh, seemed to think Merle was familiar with this book, and some of the things Merle has uh, said recently in the interview, particularly the possibility that there's convergence of celestial persons coming to this world in some way connected to the teachings of Christ. Uh, the Urantia book deals with some of that. Now, so my question is, is uh, Merle, are you uh, familiar with the Urantia book? And if so, uh, what do you think of it? <clears throat> um, I have some definite opinions on it. I, I've, strangely enough, I've been... Uh, a possessor of that book for about 20 years. Are you familiar with that art? Oh, yes, I am. And uh, I believe that uh, the book is uh, spiritually uh, inspired. And uh, I'm also uh, not sure as to whether or not there might be some demonic uh, uh, Interference there also. Yes. Yes. Uh, there's many authors I think that should be noted. What I'm saying is I, I think there's a lot of truth in it. Mm -hmm. And I think that it would be a perfect way for the, uh, the lower power to try to confuse us on the issue as to where the, who messed up on the family tree. Sure. Yes, I'm, I know the part you're alluding to. Uh, what do you think in particular uh, about the last fourth of the book? Uh, it's the part I like best, and it's uh, the life and teachings of Jesus where the missing years of his life that's, are included. That's the part I find interesting. Uh, it's it's uh, 
supposedly the only book containing the entire 33 years of Christ's life. Yes. And uh, some of the things that he was that he did that uh, is not recorded any, anywhere else claims to be in this book, and, and it makes it uh, worth uh, at least an opinion. You need to read and see if not. Uh, as some of the some of the uh, the, the great uh, philosophy uh, found there is almost uh, remarkable to the point of, of uh, being from a from a messiah's mouth. Yes, uh, I find it also a beautiful rendition in the English language. But uh, I agree, there's some problematic parts in other places of the book. But again, many different authors. Well, you must remember that uh, according to the good book that the you know the Lucifer's still in charge of this part of this part of the universe. Mm-hmm. Well, there's more evidence of that today than ever. Yeah. All right, caller. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I have an interesting offer. I, there's a lot about organized religion, Merle, that I'm not so sure about. Um, I've interviewed a wonderful man named Father Malachi Martin, and I'm going to have a chance. To, I'm going to Rome uh, next month. I heard the interview. Did, oh, all right. He actually told me that, contact me, I will get you down into the Vatican ar- archives, seven miles of archives below the Vatican in these catacombs. And that's to me, that's absolutely incredible. Things that uh, he may know more than the president. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly. You I said really it perfectly. That, that uh, you know, he's he's uh, consulted by all levels of government. Uh, that's correct. He may know more than than anybody else. He's been advisor to uh, two popes, and no, you're exactly right. And you have that sense when you listen to the man uh, that he well may know uh, a whole lot more, and he alludes to the fact that he knows more, and he's such an honest guy that I believe it. Uh, anyway, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Merle Haggard. Hi. Hello. Hello. Yeah, uh, this is Brian from uh, Ground Zero once again. Phoenix, huh? Yeah, Phoenix. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyways, uh, this is actually kind of like a fantasy land for me. Uh, one, being with talking with Merle Haggard, being a musician such as I am, and also talking with you again, Art, uh, you. being a DJ such as myself here in Phoenix, really awesome thing to do. But I do have one question for uh, Merle. Um, I basically, I don't know if you've heard me lately before, Art, but I did write a tune referring towards your book about the quickening and uh, it'll be done probably September 15th I'll send you a copy and hopefully you'll like it thank you I hope <laughs> it's it's heavy but you'll like it but the one question from Merle is um, what do you think about Art's book The Quickening El Nino in the Pacific and possibly this upcoming winter and all hell's basically going to break loose on the West Coast. All right, well, uh, he ha- I don't think he's had a chance to read my book yet. I haven't had a chance to read it, but um, I have a feeling that I that I know what he's, what he's going to... What, what a lot of it is about referring to the weather and the El Nino, and I, I have a feeling that he's hit it right on the money uh, if he's predicted it to be. It's uh, that, but it's much more than that. It's uh, It has to do with our social behavior changes um, our economics, uh, our government, our it really touches on every aspect of uh, human life. And 
I came up with this theory that things are moving faster and faster, exponentially faster, and people began to say to me, uh-uh, no, it's not true. You're, what you're observing is our increased amount of communication. In other words, we hear about things uh, faster and more than we used to. And so I felt that I needed to prove my case, and that's why I wrote the book, because I wanted to prove that no, it's not just communication. Social behavior is changing, and it's not just that we're hearing about it more. We've got gangs. We've got people killing each other. We've got uh, children killing each other. We've got... Uh, this is one of my favorite examples of a change in human behavior. There, and, and you'll relate to this. There was a, I've said this on the air many times. There was a time in this country when if you were down and out and you were going to go rob a 7-Eleven or a whatever, you'd walk into the store with a gun and say, give me your money. And the guy would give you the money and you'd back out the door and take off in a car. Today, uh, it's a little different. More times than not, the guy goes in with a gun, says, give me your money. The guy gives him the money, and as an afterthought, he puts a bullet through the guy's head and then takes off. Human life has cheapened. Yeah. You know, so... That's sad, but true. Uh... So that's just part of it. I mean, that's, you know, that's part of what went into the book, a very small part. But it, it's all mixed together to try to show that we are headed toward some sort of event at a rather... Climactic event. Climactic event, yes, sir. It's, uh, there's, there's, uh, every, almost every religion and all, all of the, uh, things that the, the Vatican claims to know, there's, there's a, uh, supposed, the knowledge of, uh, Wormwood. Are you aware of the... Oh, I am, Merle. Yeah. You know, the Vatican, the Vatican, uh, uh, muscled their way onto Mount Graham in Arizona. Uh, and I mean muscled. There were environmental problems that nobody else could have overcome, but the Vatican, whoosh, they went right onto Mount Graham. Uh, forget the environmental concerns. They're on Mount Graham, and they've got a big uh, observatory there. And I've frequently wondered what they're looking for. Well, I think they're watching for a big star. Yeah. Well, you know, there's... What do they call them? One of those big rocks? One of those big rocks. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, maybe a big rock that uh, could even potentially poison the waters. One never knows. Well, they're, they're training. Uh, they're in the process, but for some reason the government has taken on the task of training uh, several hundred cities in America over the period of the next four years for... In, in the event of germ warfare or chemical warfare, as to what to do, I guess uh, you know the thing would be to invest in, uh, in masks. You know. Uh, yeah, and there's there's a reason they're doing that. I mean, they're yeah. they're, they're not doing that uh, without cause. There is a reason. Uh, yeah, there's something to warrant that. Merle, hang tight. We're at the bottom of the hour. We've got 30 minutes to go, and we'll be back with that shortly. From the now finally clearing high desert, we had storms here like you wouldn't believe last night. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM.
Merle back again. You know, I'm not uh, a weather expert by any means, but I would have thought with what came through here last night, which was unbelievable, uh, the temperature plunged to about 60 degrees right now, which is cool for, believe me, for our desert at this sure. time of year. And there should not be enough energy out there to be producing what I see headed our way right now. It's really weird. Well, I'll tell you, I'm looking at the weather channel on, on the TV. It looks like you got, you got a thunderstorm uh, of about uh, 250 miles circumference area that's just stalled out right over your area. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't seem to be moving. Um, it, it shouldn't be so active at this time of night. Uh, you know, I mean, here we are in the dead of night. Uh, That's not, it's not the right time for it. You're right. <laughs> Strange stuff. All right, I've got a lot of people here who want to talk to you and not a lot of time left. So, West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Merle Haggard. Uh, good morning. Uh, good morning. This is Jeff calling from Sacramento. Yes, Jeff. Uh, yeah, first, Art, I just wanted to tell you, I saw in the news... Uh, um, a little while ago, uh, they were showing surfers uh, off the coast uh, just south of San Francisco surfing without their wetsuits on, which is highly unusual. It certainly is. Yeah, because the temperature of the water rarely gets that warm to do that. They would die of hypothermia within minutes if they were out there surfing like that. I know. Uh, secondly, uh, uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you, uh, Merle. It's just absolute pleasure. You've been my favorite I've been a great fan of yours uh, all my life. Oh, thank uh, you. Yes. I was wondering, have you seen the movie Contact? And if so, what did you think of it? A wonderful question. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Have you yet seen it, Merle? No, I haven't seen it. I, I've heard, I've heard about what, it, what, what, it, uh, what the theme of it is, and I'm, I'm anxious to see it. Have you seen it? I have, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Uh, interestingly. I've had an array of people on, including um, Mr. Spock from Star Trek, <laughs> Leonard Nimoy, and he didn't much like it. And uh, quite a few others in the industry, for some reason or another, didn't much like it. But little me, I loved it. I, I thought it was an extremely profound movie. I thought that, um, anyway, I, I, I'll tell you what, we'll talk after you've seen it, and, and I, I want to get your definitely get your opinion on it. Um, I thought it was a very profound movie. You you let me know what you think. I'll read it and, and, and take a look at that. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Merle Haggard. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Art Bell and Merle Haggard. This is Bob from Bradenton, Florida. Yes, sir. You know, you, it, was, it was kind of ironic to hear you fellows talk about the impression that Princess Di left on the American people, and both of you in your passing will leave the same impression. Two very famous people I'm proud to talk to at the same time. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> Being a musician, I've played your music in hockey talks and bar rooms up the eastern seaboard for the last 20 years and uh, always respected and enjoyed your music. Back 10 or 15 years ago, I was given a, a record, a recording of a song called Out Among the Stars, and it left an impression on me that uh, kind of, I guess Art could explain to you when he listens to Willie's The Highwayman. It's kind of a haunting impression, and I was wondering if he could tell us something about that song, and maybe who sang that song with you, the female voice that was on that recording. Uh, Janie, um, uh, Fricky. That was Janie Fricky. Janie Fricky, yeah. That came about, it was kind of an odd way it came about. I came into 
she'd guessed, she had done a guest shot on a record previous to that, uh, a song of mine called A Place to Fall Apart. And uh, I came into town, she asked me to do a, a return guest shot on her record. And it was out among the stars. And I went over to do a couple of lines on it. And they just flipped over what what I did. And I wound up taking that piece of material away from her. I'll be gone. And they did it right before my eyes. And, and I never forgive them for it. <laughs> forgave them for it. Because uh, it, it was so cruel. They took that song away from her and gave it to me. And I'll always be uh, uh, apologizing to her for that. But it was a great piece of material. And they thought it was better for a man to sing it. Beautiful piece of music, and I that maybe Art gets a chance to listen to it. I think it'll be a, one of his favorites to put in his favorite collection. Yeah, I'll send Art some music. Make sure he has a complete Merle Haggard collection. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, thank you, caller. Thank you, Art. Take care. Um, I'll look forward to that, Merle. I'd thank like you. that a lot. Wild Card Line, you're on the air with Merle Haggard. Hi there. Merle, I, first I got I got to thank you for for the music you've been putting out over the years, and uh, um, maybe Art, you and the listeners don't know that Merle is not only a major influence in in a major singer in country music, but is actually a founder of a whole genre of country music, and there's a whole like sort of Bakerfield scene now. That, that that emerges from his his music and and your music has just moved me so much over the years. But I, I do have a bone to pick with you, and it's it's admitted, <laughs> admittedly at this point kind of an old and moldy bone. But but back in the '60s, you were really negative on the people like me that were protesting the Vietnam War that that said this there needs to be change in this country, and and I think that you're you know there's a lot of people in the counterculture in the left. That really love country music. That were that, that we didn't you may hate have, America. You may have misread me. Well, we see we didn't hate America. We loved America. We wanted America to change. We wanted America. We wanted to save America. We didn't want to destroy America. Oh, we love America. See, I wasn't disagreeing with you. I was only short pointing out that there were people who felt a, a different way. I wasn't necessarily saying that I agreed with them. Don't you see? But some. Someone had to say something in that direction, otherwise there would have been no no argument. But you were playing to to a to a bigotry of people that that put down people for having long hair or having a different oh. lifestyle, and you were you you were playing you were playing to that, and you sold a lot of records, but you hurt a lot of people. Well, I think I think you misread it. What was your uh, Merle? What was your attitude about Vietnam War? Well, you see. Uh, the song he's referring to is, is uh, called I'm Proud to Be an Okie from Muskogee. And it was written about my father who was from Muskogee, Oklahoma. And about people who lived there who felt the way that I, I would imagine they felt about the time that he's talking about when uh, there was a period of uh, disrespect for, uh, you know, for anything. And uh, I was uh, as dumb about it as anybody. And that's the result, that's the, the song is the result of my ignorance if it's not written correctly. Um, my attitude about the Vietnam War... Um... I didn't know anything about it. Be, just to be honest, honest with, 
with, with, with the caller. And I don't think a lot of people, the people that were protesting, knew enough about it or had enough answers to be, been, to be making the noise that they made in, in, in rebuttal to what, to what he said. Um, I was there. And so I guess I had a kind of a different attitude about it. My attitude about war is that if you're going to fight it, fight it to win, or don't fight a half-assed war. And I'll tell you something, Merle. Uh, Lyndon Johnson, President Johnson, if I could have gotten to that president, I would have throttled him until all the air was gone. That man sat in the White House and plotted out the deaths of more people uh, than I could possibly count or remember and I patched a lot of them up uh, Merle he, uh, he, he fought that war in minutia he featured himself to be a general told us what we could and could not attack got an awful lot of people killed in my opinion so I have some very strong opinions about the Vietnam War you know, uh, you know a lot more about it than I did I, what I saw was uh, a lot of soldiers that people weren't proud of over here uh, I wrote songs about that. I wrote a song called The Fight Inside of Me that, you know, it, it implied that uh, maybe that uh, that, I, that I wasn't for change, but it, it uh, that's not right. It's not so, I'm, uh, you know, if it implied that, I withdraw my statement because I, I, I believe that uh, uh, the Vietnam War was, was a, was a was, was something that everybody needs to take a take a long look at, see what it's all about. Because I'm not sure yet, and, and only people that fought it may may know the truth about it. No, they don't. And, uh, no, they I've really never don't. heard it explained very well. No, the people who fought it mostly fought it uh, either to keep themselves or their friend alive, mostly themselves, and uh, didn't see the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is still to this very day totally confused. And staying away from the right or the wrongness of the war morally, what what I couldn't stand was the fact that we were sending people to their deaths uh, fighting a half-assed war. You don't fight a half-assed war. You either go in there and fight to win or... Anyway, well, I, 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 I totally agree with that, there, with that. And I, you know, I, I agree with the, um, the, the liberal side of, of uh, most all political issues in this country. Uh, I think it's terrible what they're doing to the tobacco companies. You know, the smokers are ones going to pay for all that. You know, it's it's not the it's not the tobacco companies or the people it's uh, they're trying to get to. It's the, it all boils back to the smoker. They got a poor old guy that's smoking the cigarettes. Is ones going to pay for all that all that? Uh, well, I'm I'm one of those poor old guys. Yeah, you know, your guy's going to pay it. They're, they're going to they're get it out of your pocket. I'm sure. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Merle Haggard. Good morning. Hi, is there, am, I not, am I on the air? Well, you better be, or we're not, and, well, and that's tentative right now. You ought to hear what's going on outside. I can hear it here. <laughs> can you really? <laughs> yes, I can. I'm Becky from Vancouver, Washington, and first of all, it's a great honor to talk to both of you. I never Thank thought you. I should live so long as to have Merle Haggard on the phone. <laughs> um, I have a comment and a question for Merle. Okay. Uh, my comment is that, you know, you were talking about putting feeling in your songs. Um, am I wrong in, in thinking that part of that has to do with the way you grew up? I came from an abusive family myself, and I think because of that, I tend to feel things more intensely. 
And it seems like that comes through in the music from the vintage that you and Willie Nelson and Freddie Fender and all of those good old boys put in their music. Am I right? Yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely a missing element in, in the music today for whatever reason, maybe be it uh, the uh, lack of uh, an interesting childhood or, or uh, the lack of a hard childhood or whatever. Uh, there is a lack of, of, there is a missing element there. And, and, and I don't know what to, what to say about it. You know, it's, it, I think probably there's, there's some people out there that have that sort of music to offer. Mm-hmm. But we're not here because we're, we're into some sort of sameness that has to do with computers. And uh, people are making decisions about music that don't have any any ear. Right. And the simplicity seems to be gone these days. Well, it's made, and, and the decisions are made like, uh, you know, they don't make decisions on who operates on you. The doctor doesn't make a decision that, that the insurance man does. Yes, that's true. It's kind of like that. And, and, yeah. It's, there's a there's a target that they're at after, and, and uh, they're not interested in, in, in the culture of the music anymore mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Well, my question for you is about Willie Nelson. Um, years ago, and I mean years ago, when I first heard Willie Nelson sing, just over the radio I got the impression that he was just an honest, open, down-to-earth kind of nice guy, that he'd be real fun to sit across from a table with over coffee and just converse. Yeah. Is he that type of person? Absolutely. You know, he I kind of thought he probably was. I, you know, especially the first time I saw him in concert, I thought, boy, there's a man I'd love to just sit and talk with. He just seems like a neat guy. He's the only guy that I converse with on a, on a regular basis. I'll I'll call Willie at any time of the day or night, and we'll, we'll just pick up our conversation. Uh huh. And you know, and, and talk. And yeah. he's he's. Uh, He's one of the most interesting people in America. Well, that and I think he'd be real approachable, uh, very easy to talk to as celebrities go. I, I've seen him talk to, I've seen him sign autographs for three and four hours at a time mm-hmm. and talk to everybody about whatever they wanted to talk about. And, and he knows a lot about a lot of things. He shoots park golf and, mm-hmm. and uh, plays real good poker. And he rides horses. That can't be all bad. No, he's pretty pretty much all-American fella. Well, I've, I've got a Willie question then. Uh, thank you, ma'am. Uh, let me follow up very quickly. We're almost out of time, but Willie, Willie, I asked Willie, uh, somebody faxed and said that Willie Nelson smoked pot on the roof of the White House. Willie um, sort of answered that and said that if you were going to do that, that might be the place where you'd do it. I heard he did. I heard that same story. And I hope he did. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure he did. I'll tell you what. I got one White House story. We played. We played for President Nixon and uh, Pat Nixon's birthday, and and they had guards at the bottom of the the first floor going to the second floor where Lincoln's bedroom was, and and uh, Ron Ziegler was 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 the press secretary at the time. My, I remember that. My, my press secretary was was uh, uh, running around with a guy he was calling Horsefly all evening during this cocktail party at the White House. <laughs> well, during the night they conned these blue uniformed Marine officers into letting them go upstairs, talking about my press secretary who was wanting to meet Ron Ziegler, but he didn't know he was 
regular horse fly. And he said, horse fly, see if we can talk him into going up the stairs. They went upstairs and they laid down in Nakit's bedroom. And this Lewis Talley friend of mine laid there. He said, well, he said, I've done, I've done just about everything I think in life I want to do. I said, I've laid in Nakit's bedroom. And he said, horse fly, he said, if I could just meet Ron Ziegler, my evening would be complete. And uh, Ron Ziegler just raised over the bed and shook his hand. He said, Oh, sly, Ron Ziegler. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, Merle, it, that's five hours. That's five hours. That's five hours. What a pleasure it's been. It's been a great pleasure for me, too, Art. And we will uh, hopefully do this again sometime. Just any time you want. And uh, sometime I'll, I'll come through for up there. I live in Northern California. Yeah, please come through, Brump. When you do, uh, you call me. You've got my number, I hope. I got your number, and we'll get together. Merle, thanks. Thank you. Good night. Good night. That's it. Merle Haggard, everybody. And I'll tell you what. To the network, um, we are not going to do any afterliners. We are not going to do any commercials this morning. Uh, we are having violent weather, and we're going to shut the uplink down. We've been lucky to get these five hours on because there's a storm a-coming. Actually, it's about here. From the high desert, I'm Art Bell. Good night.